Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. I hate to be the one to say this, but the spring season is rapidly approaching its end here, uh, which is sad not only because of the rapid, unending passage of time, but also, as, as we've been saying, it's a really good season. The one and... time anime has been good in the past 10 years is rapidly approaching. <laughs> I don't, well, that might be a little I, harsh, but I'd, this have is to, I'd, the... I'd have to consult the texts to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, this is one of the strongest seasons we've Definitely. had in a long time. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. And it's it's be... a little anxiety inducing, honestly, because like a lot of these shows are kind of closing in on their finales. And like while a lot of them have instilled confidence in me, there's always that like. There's always that feeling in the back of your in the back of your throat that like can can all yeah. of these anime stick the landing, you know? Well, I hate to break it to you, this is probably our last chance to make predictions, so we'll have to get into that. But uh we I think we have to do season preview next episode. My oh, prediction boy. is at least one show will crash and burn. I okay. I would be happy if only one show does. I'm worried about this. Well, <laughs> we, we'll, we'll we can see. we can we can place our bets as we go down the list here. For sure, but uh, before we get into it, let's introduce everybody. I'm Jell. I am joined, as always, by Iro. I'm still here. I'm not dead yet. Still with us. I'm joined by G. What's good, everybody? And for this episode, we are joined by Zig. Since I'm not a regular, I don't have a pithy catchphrase. <laughs> oh, you're fairly regular. I mean, I, in all I fairness... Am... Oh, go ahead. I'm regular on a longer rotation than you guys. You know, you're like you're like the you're like the Neptune to like our Mercury or Venus. Like, yeah, <laughs> you make that you make that uh, rotation, but you know, it takes a little longer. That, that oh, that you took mean me, the it took me a minute to process Hermes. that, G, but I think I get it now. Yeah, no, because like if Gel is the Sun, then like Eero is Mercury. I'm like probably Venus. Oh. And then, like, I thought yeah. we were doing some Sailor Moon shit. Oh and I got confused no, 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 no! I was I was talking about the actual planetary bodies that are called the Sun, no, Mercury, I and Venus. Oh, I thought you were going for an ancient mythology reference. <laughs> Actually, you people, it's <laughs> if if we go if we go to our total podcast count, Iro's probably been on more pod, well, like one or two more podcasts than I have. But so there's a hero, the Sun of the Glory. Yeah, that's me. Jet. <laughs> you know, Iro, he's always a ray of sunshine in our lives. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we got a lot of anime to talk about. Boy, do uh, we. I feel like half of these shows we could spend like an hour talking about, so. God, Let's, yeah. Uh, do, we, do, do we just create the, the Vivi slash Odd Taxi spinoff podcast where we just talk <laughs> about those shows? Uh, yeah, I feel, like a spe- I feel like Odd Taxi alone could yes, be like... Oh man! I mean, so Vivian many theories we could dive into. Taxi at least reach the point, at least share the fact that they have both reached the point of violent ass violence. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, mm. in, in very different ways, but yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we do want to do some quick catch up on a couple of things that we haven't been talking about. We'll give them their one quick opportunity here uh-huh. before the season wraps up. But, uh, you guys are saying you wanted to mention. My Hero Academia, call them out. Yeah, just just want to do a quick call. You know, here's here's G's call. Here's G's <laughs> call out post of My Hero Academia. So the last week's My Hero Academia episode was a very Bakugo focused episode. Um, yep. To give context, 
they are sort of having a class A versus class B exhibition training like uh, exercise where it's like five teams from each. So class A is like where Deku and Bakugo and you know the main cast of My Hero Academia comes from, and then so they're like one A and they have one B, which is like the other like their counterpart class, and so they're having these like five v five. You know, it's it's a tur- it's, it's it's like a it's like a miniature tournament arc, right? Yeah. And like the first two matches are like. Or no, even though the first three matches are all like legitimately pretty fun because like the get B to see class some people who you don't see often, right? And... and and people get to show off like their powers because you know they're they're in a more constrained, focused environment. Uh, a lot of the class B like kids have like much like weirder, esoteric like JoJo stand adjacent powers that are like in a lot of ways much more creative and interesting than class one A's. Because class one A is kind of your Justice League, right? You got your your bruisers, your people who can, you know right. your speedsters, that sort of stuff. So B is like, you know, you have guys who can like Turn the soften to any, mud, yeah. Yeah, soften any material into a mud like, you know, consistency. Or a girl who can like split herself up like Buggy the Clown style. Um <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And so the first three matches, like, legitimately pretty fun, right? There's kind of a good back and forth between the two, like, you know, getting to show off all the kids' powers and kind of what they've learned along the way. It's fun. Good, good-natured stuff. Like, it's, 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 mm-hmm. it's fun, entertaining, just watching these kids get to, you know, put their best out there. And then the Bakugo episode happens, yep. where Bakugo basically just, I don't even want to give him, you know, that much airtime. Just long story short, he basically single-handedly wipes out the entire opponent team. It is, like, so dominate. It, it, it is so, like, just one-sided. Like, everybody makes it extremely clear. Bakugo is the, like, sole factor. He singly, single-handedly 1v5 just obliterates the other team. And then everybody looks directly into the camera <laughs> and says, wow, Bakugo sure has come a long way. He's really become a team player. And I'm not even joking. I'm not joking. He's really changed. The fuck? Literally, multiple characters like look directly at the camera and say, "Let me make it clear. Even though Bakugo's personality is a little abrasive sometimes, this was one of the greatest displays of teamwork wow. and cooperation I've ever seen in my life." Literally, All Might is like, "Wow, that was like one of the greatest cooperative t- efforts I've ever seen in my entire career as a hero." Bakugo really has come a long way, and like you know. I- like like fucking Zoolander <laughs> here, like like Mubatu. I'm like I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. Like I'm like I'm like no, like, like that's what I, when I, I feel like I'm being gaslit by My Hero Academia. Like right. like insisting I'm like, I'm like, that Bakugo is totally different now. Right. I mean, like, to be fair, My Hero Academia has been gaslighting us from the beginning into thinking Bakugo is anything other than a complete piece of shit. So yes, but it's just like it, it really comes to like a really awful like climax here. Like you know, yeah. It's like I'm like I'm like no there was no teamwork there like he just like he he, he got all the screen time and everyone's like like no gee did you don't you see the the subtle ways in which he encourages allies by insulting them it, 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 it by motivated refusing them. to call them by their names like. it motivated them to fight harder thus that was Bakugo's roundabout way of showing his strong leadership skills and I'm like <laughs> uh. no <laughs> that's not how that works and uh. so, like, as usual, Bakugo ruins what was otherwise a pretty enjoyable arc. And, uh... Yep. Yeah. Fucking My Hero Academia, man. It's, it's, a. Uh... Is, it, is it just time to pull the plug? No, because... It. Or is there still something, there's, some good, good there's some, coming? There are some very cool ladies on the horizon. 
of My Hero <laughs> <Okay>. Academia. <laughs> uh, very cool, very strong ladies <laughs> on like on the same on the tier horizon. Strong, powerful uh, women. Who's the bunny? The bunny lady. Yeah, like Miruko. Miruko is about to get a lot of screen time. Maybe when not... I think of strong, powerful women, I think bunny girl. Well, hey, str- strong she, legs. Uh, she, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, she could jump good. <laughs> I get it. Uh, okay. Well, the other show we wanted to catch up on is Back Arrow. Uh huh. Um, which all Back we Arrow have not talked about this season at all because there isn't much to say. Sticking uh-huh. with it, but uh, did. Something happened this week? Or... I'm reliably informed that they did the thing. It yes. Took so sh- It took the sh- whole show. But yes, things are happening in Back Arrow. And like, like, if it weren't for this show being what it is, I would say like there's actually a, a few like individual moments in the last couple episodes that are quite good. Um, yes. So like a lot of the focus of the recent episodes have been like... So like, long story short, uh, the titular Back Arrow... Um, has been revealed to be... I mean, he's basically Nia of the Anti-Spirals. Like, they reveal, uh-oh, actually, he's a tool of the real villains, right? And, uh-huh. like, his... Sent, per- to, sent to destroy everything. Right, right. Herald of the true villains. And, like, his powers go out of control. He's, like, blasting everybody and, like, disintegrating them. And, like, it's up to, like, the rest of the cast to, like, you know, snap him out of it, right? And so a lot of the emphasis goes to towards Rekka, who in this world are sort of like not China romance of the Three Kingdoms period, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of top knots and talks of honor and brotherhood. And I've like, uh, I've seen a fair few screenshots scattered about Twitter of the emperor looking like he's going Super Saiyan on somebody. The emperor <laughs> is very good. Emperor Zetsu is like he's like Master Asia crossed with Lord Genome. Like, just, like, super badass yeah. kung fu, like, social Darwinist man. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> he's just a really fun dude to watch, right? Because he's, like, the one character in this show who clearly is having a great time. Social like, Darwinist regardless. man is my favorite superhero comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, it's just that he's, he's kind of a shitbag, but also he's a shitbag who's clearly having the time of his life when everybody else is, like, treating this super seriously. Like... You know, like when the when you know the evil villains reveal that this is all part of God's plan to destroy their world, Emperor Zetsu's like, "Oh, capital G, God, huh? Maybe, just maybe, <laughs> this will be a match for my overwhelming physical prowess." <laughs> Time to attack and dethrone God. Yeah, yeah. basically. Um, and, and so a lot, a lot of stuff happens. Um, there's a there's a very good line from a character uh, named Bit, who this whole time has kind of been like a. Shitty comic relief. Like, they haven't yeah. killed him yet. No, no. Like I don't know. Like yeah. Like to use like like yeah. I don't know. He's use like Nakashima writing analogies. I guess he's kind of like an even shittier Attenborough. If you remember that <laughs> character from Gurren Lagann, like just bit character on the crew who like. I mean, his name is literally Bit. Yeah. Who just like is just like a shitty like comical coward. I but, remember um, him wanting to die, but yeah. Yeah. But he has a great line in the last episode when, like, they're faced with, like, this overwhelming power right. of threats uh, to like destroy their Ar- world. Arrow, the, the like, core of the group, is yoked to this vengeful god trying to kill everyone. And Bit, uh, dis- they're all trying to decide whether they should even try to fight god. Oh, uh, uh, and, uh, yes, and so, you know, everybody's like, 
Do we even stand a chance? And Bit fucking walks up and says the amazing line, <laughs> After the life I've lived, what's scarier, God or poverty? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well fight God. I ain't going back to being poor. Yeah. It's... Uh, that's that's Not... pretty... <laughs> when Nakashima swings for the fences... <laughs> It's pretty wild. <laughs> uh, um, and then in the latest episode, Bit finally reveals that he too can do the like mech transformation that everybody else has. And it is maybe the most beautiful piece of Nakashima logic in this entire show. So like, yeah, Bit reveals that his bright height, that's the name of the mech, is the ship itself. So here we go. Time for the ship to transform, right? But... And, and, and not only is it transform, but it is a, a Gatai style transform, where Bit is basically the Lagan of this universe. <laughs> he can tr- he can Gatai with anything else and become a force multiplier for what he is Gatai'd with. And the reason for that is because they explain that Bit is such a shitty layabout waste of space <laughs> who actively holds everybody back that anybody who's working with him has to try two or three times harder to compensate <laughs> for how much of a shithead he is. That and makes as a result, better. by God time with Bit, so much more powerful. you actually go past your original limits because you have to compensate for how much of a fucking waste of space he is. Wow. It's really good. <laughs> It's really like it's like uh, this, it's it's like the specific piece of like absurdist Nakashima logic that this show had been desperately missing this whole time, and uh, well, at least they admit it. Uh. <laughs> and so yes, for for a little bit there, uh, uh, Back Arrow was uh, was pretty entertaining. Yes, and the the big dreadnought finally transforms into a mech like we all knew it would from the second it appeared. Right, and it. Got ties with the other dreadnoughts that have shown up, and uh, oh, I didn't know there were other dreadnoughts. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, there are other dreadnoughts. It doesn't yep. matter. It really doesn't well. matter. <laughs> They're just there, and then yes, bit got ties with them, and and yet you still don't seem super enthused about this show. No, it's well, it's because... kind of too little, too late. Right. Yeah, and like, it's just that like. It's because it, it it really is just the presentation. I mean, not just just the presentation, but a lot of it is that the presentation is just so like bog standard. It's just like so sterile, despite the like patent absurdities that like Nakashima is trying to put on screen. Like even 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 when like Bit reveals that the Dreadnought can transform and does the big Gatai and then punches like you know this fucking Shin Megami Tensei looking final boss. It's like the weakest, limpest looking punch in the world. Like. Like, right. th- think of, like, when, like, Arc... When, think of, like, when Gurren Lagan merged and become Arc Gurren Lagan, and then punch that anti-spiral through the fucking, like, fabric of reality and shatter <laughs> the dimension that they existed in. Right. Uh, like... Yeah, that man. was all right. Gurren Lagan's none of, <laughs> Yeah, Gurren Lagan... Uh, yeah, I mean, you, we want to talk about Gurren Lagan, I'm all here for it. But yeah, it's like, there's just none of that, like, spectacle in, in Back Arrow. Right. Like... And there's a lot of middle ground between there where Back Arrow could... We're not saying Back Arrow has to be Gurren Lagan, but there's a lot of room to improve. I mean, <laughs> I, I, definitely. I think part of it is also that... That, like, the thing that was designed to go against the formula has kind of become a formula, right? That's That's the way things go. You know, what was once fresh and new is now kind of predictable and if you're going to do something predictable you need to do it with a certain amount of pizzazz or it's just something we've seen before but better right 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 yeah 
I Still, mean, it's my... a good job there's no other super robot shows this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, gonna say I, I if can't we want we some live... good if we want some good guitar, we'll get into Dynasty later. I can't believe we live in the world where I even have enough mecha anime in a season where I could say Back Arrow is the third third best or first worst uh, mecha anime of the season, I I mean, uh, I assume you're counting Vivi as a mecha anime. Oh, then I guess we're moving it down to fourth, actually. No, I think Godzilla, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess... Well, that's back arrow. We'll have to see uh, where that goes, but like you said, too little too late, right? Yeah. All right. Well... Let's get to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> Let's kick things off with VV Fluorite Eyes song. So, can I start by saying something? Sure, Z. Okay. It's really fucked up to put someone in a museum. <laughs> like, just yeah. in yeah. general. We'll, we'll we'll get to that, but we I think we have another episode we got to touch on. I know, but I, I just part, felt but... like I needed to put that right up front in the... Yes. Like... Well, I actually oh, think yeah. that museum bit actually helped solidify for me something that I was trying to figure out about the prior episode. Okay. <clears throat> well, let's let's uh, let's get into the the first episode, which was the end of the diva arc, I guess we could say. Yeah. Uh, we get our, which culminates in this crazy final showdown between uh, Antonio and Matsumoto. And, mm-hmm. and, Antonio uh, and, and Antonio and Matsumoto. <laughs> yes. And uh, what's the guy's name? Kakitani. Yes. And and, and uh, Diva. Not Vivi yet. Diva. Uh, Diva 2. Yes. And... <laughs> It's pretty wild, as always. <laughs> Some pretty wild choreography in this one. The thing uh, I will say is that I think this is a good example of, uh, like, really clever fight choreography and directing trumping, like, pure technical quality of animation. Because, like, on a technical level, it's fine, but not amazing. Yeah. But it's really well directed and really well cut and shot, it, and that makes it super exciting. Yeah, like, like, it definitely reminds me of, like, some of, like, Rio Timo's work, which is kind of famous for being, like, hampered by a lack of budget and time. And so, like, a lot of his great choreography would instead rely on, like, very good directing and and shot composition. And I think, I think that's really... Uh, I, in fact, I want to shout out the fight in this episode, because... I kind of went back and watched it, and like I think one of the interesting—I don't know if this is intentional, but I think it was a, a fun, maybe subtle bit of storytelling—is that uh, Diva is on the back foot in base, basically throughout the entire fight. Like she mm-hmm. is like clearly on the defensive and like needs to like work together with Matsumoto to overcome her opponents. And I don't know if that's like meant to be a commentary on that Diva is a pretty outdated model at this point, like. You know, mm-hmm. she is like 50, 60 years old at this point. Like, uh, yeah. I think it might also be a commentary on the fact that, you know, she is doing this for the first time, essentially, as Diva. Right. You know, right. she's new to the. She does all of the combat code. Yeah, she, uh... I mean, she has all of that stuff, you know. Right. But... I mean, well, let me put it this way Diva does not have a wrist mounted cannon uh, <laughs> in, in her forearm in the way Kakatani, the fucking AI hating android, does. I, I will say that they've. They've held off on outlandish stuff like that up to this point, so much so that that felt like a real escalation. Right, like, that's what he, I really liked about it. Yeah, yeah, when he transforms his arm, it's a real, oh shit, like, this this dude is, like, a machine. He's a monster. Right, like, you well, know, not only real is he a machine, but like, unlike every other machine we've met so far, he is a machine, like, intentionally designed to hurt people. 
Like, yeah, all, all the right. other androids and sisters we've met up till now are, are capable of fighting, but, like, they could always make it constantly clear it's not, like, necessarily their primary purpose, whereas Kakatani has, like, you know, so to give context, uh, Kakatani reveals that he he hates AI so much he was willing to put himself into a robot body <laughs> so he could keep hunting AIs. Yes, you uh, called that one G. We don't have to properly yeah. credit you for that. I mean, it yes. was it was pretty much the only option to be. I mean, fair. it was either that or digital ghost, right? So or right. or time travel, but, but you know. Well, speaking of time travel, right? That's one of the other interesting reveals of this is that while there might not necessarily be a second Matsumoto running around, um, that episode reveals that Kakatani somehow received information from the future. Right? He is using yeah. weaponry that is explicitly. Right. Uh, not from this era in the form of his logic bullet which incapacitates Diva and his Titanfall hacking knife <laughs> but more than God. the technology they also gave him knowledge like they gave him knowledge that this thing would happen on this day and it, he would be presented mm-hmm. with an opportunity you know and, right. and I mean I think you know I think you said this to me Iro but like the the only way you can escalate the threat against a time traveler is to introduce another time traveler right Right. so this is like the logical end point of the escalating threats that she's been facing really right and it ties back to like even last time we were talking about matsumoto starting to get outdated by the technology and all that but yeah he he almost lost that hack battle you know almost (laughs) um i thought it was also how he was also he might be a person what do you mean? We'll, we'll, Wait, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Next episode. That's but, next episode. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I, I did like too how he was kind of involved in both fights because he's right, yeah. a computer and can be in more more than one place at a time. Yeah. Also, but, shout uh, out to that one part where uh, Diva just fucking chucks a Matsumoto cube. <laughs> yeah. Five. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. So yeah, that all kind of culminates in basically the death of Diva, right? Yeah, yeah. well, as, as we know her, forty and... Diva two, aka Smug Diva, right? Uh, so yeah. yeah, like shout out, you gets know, erased. Pour, pour, pour one out for Smug Diva. Yeah, she gets infected by like some kind of logic virus by by Kakatani, um, and uh, she has her sad disappearing scene in the uh-huh. archives. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but um, she, she's going out on top, you know, like she's singing one last time at a <laughs> yeah at the show. Um, it's, also, it's like, pretty well done, I think. I, I will say, I'm glad they addressed it later, because I was a little confused by what Diva and Matsumoto had actually succeeded in, because they didn't really prevent Ophelia's suicide. They just turned it into a double suicide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if that's theoretically better for the timeline. I mean, well, I, I think what they said was that they, pre- they prevented it being a copycat thing, right? Because... Right. It was it was more ambiguous. Really. Yeah, I don't I don't think they explain why that did that, but they do mention later in the next episode, right? So, so yeah, let's get into that. I mean, we get we get our our next time skip. Yeah, um, relatively short, at least initially, only five. Initially, years only only five years, but this is as Zig alluded to. Diva just gets stuck in a the, yeah, museum the, the exhibit. Line that like, oh, she stopped singing, and so Neoland donated her to the museum. And so and now they keep actually, her in this fucking cubicle. Fucking, yeah. yeah, and so here's actually where I want to get into what, what Zig brought up, and actually sort of tie this back to the, the prior episode. So, Iro and I were kind of working through the prior episode a little bit, because in all fairness, it's a, it's a fairly dense episode that maybe could have like benefited from 
an extra episode to clear some things up. And I think one of those things was kind of like, what is the like core of like Kakatani's like consternation with AIs? And seeing Vivi in the museum kind of helped solidify my understanding of like what that consternation comes from. And it's the like frustrating contradiction of the very patronizing tone in which humanity treats AIs as, like, people, quote-unquote, right? Like, oh, we give them funerals, and we treat them like our friends. But also, we air, like, a fucking snuff film GoPro video of their last moments at their funeral, and we keep them, like, in, not necessarily cages, but we keep them cooped up in museums as if they were, like, an, an inanimate yeah. object at, a, right. at an exhibit. I... So, like, it's, it's it becomes very obvious that even humanity itself cannot clearly like make up its mind on the personhood of ais even if their intentions are seemingly benevolent and that frustration is what drove kakatani to to kind of wage his war against the ais because he thinks that it would be better if the ais just didn't exist at all rather than suffer this like infuriating half-life i mean i've seen some people argue that she doesn't mind being there and she wants to be there and i'm like bro who no. do you think decided that she doesn't mind being there and wants <laughs> to be there you know like, right yeah you don't get I, to, I think uh... it's pretty clear it's meant to be uncomfortable that she's in that position to the audience right, right. Like... Which, which is interesting because i think the show i mean a lot of a lot of fiction centered around the development of you know living ai is very preoccupied with the concept of the legal status of them, if that makes sense. Whereas I'm not saying that Vivi hasn't been about that, but it has been less of a foreground thing. You know, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. about the huge societal changes and sort of the struggle for legal status. That's sort right. of been relegated to the background and as sort of like one of the lesser plots. And so right. now to have that suddenly be such such and again it's not that the show is shoving it in our faces it's just that that theme has come to light because of the circumstances which is good storytelling like i mean think about it now like i mean again you know i'm not like here to like defend kakatani's actions but you you look at it from his perspective and it's like they let a dude marry an ai in this world like right Right? Like, they let a dude marry an AI, but also paradoxically, like, shove them into museum exhibits. Like, right. like but you pe- look at a society that acts like that, and why but- wouldn't you get frustrated that, that the world seemingly couldn't make up its mind? Right. But I think the argument would be people have married all sorts of weird objects. Right? <laughs> hey, like, somebody married Hatsune Miku, right? Yeah, if it's just uh, a thing, who are we to yuck this guy's yum? You know? Right. But, we, but also, but also, we 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 perform funerals for that. I, I guess that's what I mean, right? It's like there, it is that infuriating. I mean, people like, give their pets funerals, right? And I think that's what I mean, right? Is like there is that like contradiction, hypocrisy between if you were if you were a person who was wired like Kakatani, where you wanted a clear, rational like answer to to this question, this show or the humanity in this show has given you a very unsatisfactory like. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, answer to those questions. Right. Kak- Kakatani is destroying AI because, in a sense, he doesn't believe humanity deserves AI. Right. You know, he right. d- he doesn't believe that it, he doesn't want humanity to to abdicate responsibility in the way that they are doing so. You exactly. know, and it, and it's it's complicated and it works on you know several different levels and it's not entirely 
rational but again you know that's kind of how people become obsessed with things in real life and so right. uh, so yeah. i i wanted specifically to shout out in this episode though um some really good writing i think that you know because the the basic theme of this episode is that bereft of her mission vivi has to learn how to live for herself you know she has to learn how to um find herself as an individual and you know this is a very cliched plot line you know the robot who suddenly discovers that they're self-aware you know and this isn't exactly the same because Vivi has obviously always been self-aware but I think it's a really clever way that they work all of the plot strands together you know so there's her trying to find her music her tune there's her realizing that she is, you know, an individual separate from her mission. And there's the stuff with the kid who eventually grows up into the, the Professor Matsumoto and all of that stuff. And it's just really subtly done, really nicely written. It doesn't smack you in the face with it, but it's still really effective in the end. And I yeah. just wanted to shout out just how well they integrate those things I, together. Yeah, I, 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 I'm definitely with you there, Zig. I think, like, like it, it's a much more, like... You know, the stakes, at least initially in this episode, are much lower, right? It is almost entirely about the interiority of Vivi as a character. And I think that not only is there, like, a lot of great writing, but in the classic Vivi way, they continue to, like, wrap it in with... They wrap it together with, like, some really, like, you know, great presentation choices to, to sell it. Like, you know, it's a bit of a classic move, but, like, once you realize that the song she is writing is the ED, like, mm -hmm. it adds a really fun context to that, you know? And, like, there's a really interesting aspect of, like... She's writing a song, or she's writing a piece of music, but she's not singing, or at least not yet. She has not created lyrics for it yet, right? Like, despite her initial, like, conception her directive as, being to sing. Yeah. To sing, she is explicitly not singing here. She is composing. And, you know, it, in a weird ways, right, it, it is once again, like, the cool way in which the AIs in this setting, like, slightly twist their, like, prime directives to, like better suit themselves right to, to to better suit their own personal expression of their being and it continues to be a really neat way to explore the kind of burgeoning personhood of of the ais in this show and i think right. i think as well it's it's an illustration of how vivi has continued to go one step beyond it the standard cliches because the standard cliche here is oh a machine discovers that they're a person after all but you know, the audience and the writers, you know, it's been fairly obvious that Vivi has been a person all along, you know, we don't right, have I any mean... doubt about that. So what what's next, you know? Well, like yeah. a real person, like a child, you know, once you exist, you then have to decide why you exist. And that's the next step in her evolution as a character, you know, and as a, as a person. And that's, you know, you're going one layer deeper than a lot of fiction might. Yeah. And and I think I think you know it, it's and I think despite the, like the relative like like focus of the episode, I do think they also do a pretty good job of like slowly building up like towards the conclusion of this episode, right? Yeah, uh, where Matsumoto you know visits Vivi like once a year and kind of implies that he has another mission that he's working on, but this time he will not bring Vivi on it, right? Like he's like I got I got a thing I need to figure out, so like you know. What does he say? Let's have a race. Let's see if I can fulfill my mission, or you can fulfill your uh, your attempt to discover yourself first, right? And uh, right, like we see twenty twenty more years pass in this episode, right? Like yeah. you know, of of Vivi trying to explore herself, and 
kind of leads up to uh, yes, the reveal that the boy who uh, who saw her at the beginning grows up to become you know the, yes, the Professor Matsumoto. Uh, Vivi kind of witnesses mm-hmm. him go through his own life, right? Fight a family, you know, have a have a daughter, uh, implied to have lost his wife, right? Uh, it's yeah. And I think the interesting thing is that I went back to check the episode one uh, uh, prologue. The implication seemed to be that whatever is happening at the end of this episode is happening slightly earlier than it did in the original. Right, timeline. because we because only we've only made it to like eighty six or eighty seven yes, years. The, right. The Professor Matsumoto that we see, the last time we see him in this episode, is actually a, is notably younger than the one we right. see um, in the episode one prologue. Right. So, very much the question. Uh, did Matsumoto and Vivi save the future? <laughs> well, right. okay, so here's... I'm open to the possibility that just between the time we see Matsumoto and the time Vivi wakes up and Robo Wars begun, that time passed and we are, caught, quote-unquote, caught up rather than starting early. Right, they, they do... between the two. Yeah, they do here, intentionally here's... leave the period that she has been, quote-unquote, sleeping ambiguous as oh from as from as like the from when she actually shuts down yeah she the, she, she wakes up she completes the song and shuts right. down and then she she wakes up and we so don't it, know right, that how could long be, it's been that's true, right that that's could true. have been additional time beyond the 20 years yeah. right so and, there's that um, also yeah speaking of great presentation should we all just give a shout out to <laughs> the ai's singing vivi's new song <laughs> as they murder humanity <laughs> How, how's that for a post uh, post ED drop? It's right? it's a memorably discordant it's, moment. Oh, it's so good! Like it's, I I I I keep comparing it, but it it feels like a fucking Yoko Taro move. You know what I'm saying? Like fucking <laughs> fucking evil AI singing a like distorted fucking creepy version of Vivi's song as as they bring about the apocalypse. It's 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 glorious. It's 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 magnificent. I I love it. So I'm gonna throw out some questions here. Okay. Uh, so obviously, this what where this episode ends is meant to parallel what we see in the first episode, right? With, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the first time we saw Vivi was when she wakes up in her museum exhibit, right? And she sees everybody getting murdered. Um, I mean, she doesn't see anybody getting murdered in that. I don't first think episode. she. I don't, uh, well, I guess in the first episode, right? But okay. the right, but the. Well, okay, we as the audience see everybody getting murdered. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, did they do they explain, or did I miss what Matsumoto robot Matsumoto's mission was that they were racing with? He was looking for whoever sent the information back to uh, Kakitani. Was what okay. I assumed. I kind of assumed that his mission was to help Vivi discover her mission, if that makes sense. I, I kind of assumed that he was implying that the thing he had to do was was fine, was, you know, help her find her way back. And, and that the person he, he promised to do the job for was Diva, you know, smug Diva, who now no longer exists. So that's what okay. I got from that, but... You know, it's. I think they don't explicitly say. I I, I think though, it right. is open to interpretation deliberately. Okay, I'll throw out another thing. So when he tells her, so so he tells her that the project is over because after the Ophelia incident, there were no other AI suicides, and he was not projecting that. You know the. He did not AIs have any other pre- 
He did not have any other pre-programmed like nexus right. points. Do you think he was telling the truth at that point? Uh, I feel like I the standard he, operating procedure. He thinks that he's not the truth, probably. I, I, I feel like the standard operating procedure for this kind of show is to reveal at the very end that it was all a long con in favor of, you know, a a separate undefined goal. So mm. I, I think there's still that possibility that Matsumoto is like, actually, I was attempting to do X and I achieved this by telling you I was actually trying to do Y. And, uh, right. you know, I feel like that would be the standard twist in this situation. I hope it's something other than that, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, not necessarily implying that, like, Matsumoto had, like, was secretly, had bad intentions and was, you know, working oh, no, the I, robot apocalypse. I, I think if anything... But... I think, if anything, it's likely that it was a greater good thing, you know, that he was secretly preventing the apocalypse by causing the apocalypse or whatever, you know. Um, I think, it's difficult uh, to say. I think the next step from here, and get me on tape on this one, is that we're going to have, we're going to get, like, af- after we deal with uh, the AI war for a bit, we're going to get a sequence of, uh, we're gonna get a montage of them going back and d- d- running the loop multiple times trying to fix it more <laughs> yeah we'll get a Madoka episode 10 out of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah make that Madoka 10 reference so does anybody have any other predictions before we wrap uh, things up on it Um, I think that uh, Vivi will get to the mountain base, and it turns out Judgment Day was inevitable all along, and nuclear <laughs> war begins. Hmm. You know, I'm, you I'm go, actually... that hot Terminator Three reference for <laughs> uh-huh. you kids. God, there. I, you know, I'm actually wondering. Like, I feel like one of the themes that is common in time travel fiction is that time is a river, and you can divert the flow, but you can't really. You can't really stop it, right? Like right. you just make and, a new branch, right? Yeah, and I want like you know, like look, if we start to do some crazy time loop shit, I'm all here for it. But I almost wonder, like I I almost wonder if part of the story will simply be that like I don't know. It, maybe it's too grim, but maybe it's just like it's like you just couldn't stop the, the the AI apocalypse and all that's left is to try to fix what has been done, right? Yeah. Like right. Like all we can do now is move forward in the timeline. Like, you know, it's it's too late. Like, I don't, even, I don't even, think this show is dark enough to go that route. But maybe, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm real. I'm I'm literally just spitballing here. Like, I feel like Vivi is one of those shows where when I said I was anxious about how it's going to stick the landing, I think Vivi has hit some of the highest highs of this season, and as a result, it is maybe also the one that I, I feel the most anxious about its ability to to stick the landing like there's there's just so many elements in play it has set up so many like great expectations and you know like i i, I compared this show to it it invaded a few times i really hope this show has a better ending than it invaded did yeah i i'm a little concerned because like i said i feel like that ending is a little too harsh for the themes of this show but right. i feel like to get a happy ending 
we'd have to do some time shenanigans, like Ira was saying. And, like, I feel like the worst-case scenario, and still actually quite likely, is they pull, like, an Avengers Endgame where she pops into key points and uh, and tries to alter, like, right. things so that, like, it actually saves all the people that died, like, go back and save. Yeah, oh, no, that's and, totally what oh, I was you mean you mean yeah. that plot point that Avengers lifted from Kamen Rider Gaim, huh? <laughs> yes. All right, how about this? How about this? They are they figure out a way to, to save the past and thus save the future, but Matsumoto has to erase himself from history, from the timeline. <laughs> and everyone, everyone will forget that Matsumoto ever existed, except for us, the viewer. Only only we, the viewer, will remember Matsumoto's sacrifice to save, <laughs> to save the I mean, world. <laughs> I, I feel like the standard uh, ending for this kind of thing, and one which is very in keeping with the way Vivi has told its story, is you can change something, but only at great cost. Right, so yeah. either Matsumoto dies, Vivi dies, or they both die, or you know, time shenanigans erase them from existence. That's my prediction, at least. They right. save the future, but one or both of them is uh, lost to the time stream. Right. Well, we're gonna find out soon enough. Yeah, and <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. I, I mean, even if they went that route, I'd be disappointed. But as a whole, I still think it'd be a net positive with the show. It's been great. This I, whole time. I, I think it depends on how they tell it. You know, I think Vivi's strength has not necessarily been uh, overwhelmingly original ideas, but terrific presentation. Right. So, you know, and, and by I presentation, mean, I, I like mean writing and storytelling as well. We're ten episodes in. It's got at least some goodwill going for it with with me at this point. So, of course, yeah. All right. Speaking of shows about time traveling robots, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's. Talk about uh, Megalobox Two Nomad. Yeah. Okay. Um, How's how have things been going in that? It's been going good, but you know, since we last in, spoke, in a much different direction than Vivi, of course. Um, <laughs> so the thing with Nomad is, I don't want to say we are at a bit of a crossroads here, but I, I like I like Megalobox a lot. I like a lot of what. Nomad has done from a writing standpoint of Joe's character. I think at this point, the way I currently currently feel about it is, I feel good about it, but also, I think it needs to prove itself to me that it can it, it can stick the landing with with where it seems to be gesturing toward. So, yeah. Uh, the 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 long the long and short of it is that Joe has kind of like, at this point, he has like kind of mostly earned him, you know, kind of earned his place back in the lives of most of his family. Like, Sachio has, you know, still, is still the stubborn holdout who refuses to forgive him. But, like, for the most part, the rest of his family, you know, or, or you know, found family are at least willing to be on, like, amicable terms with him again. Uh, you know, right. So, it, you know, and, and it has shown that, like, Joe repeatedly has made it clear that, like, He's done he, boxing. He has done boxing, right? Like, he still loves boxing, but he's not going to do it anymore. Or at least he's not going to do it for, for, you know... He's not going to do it for his pride anymore, right? Like, it is no longer a thing that drives him on an instinctual level. Uh, And this all kind of, like, is related to kind of what is the Simmering B plot, which is a championship map between, match between Edison Liu, who's the man who defeated Joe in the first place, like, you know, seven years ago, and a new challenger, uh, Mac uh, Mac Rosario, aka Mac Time, who is a sort what? of up, 
Yeah, kind of. Uh, or maybe, maybe Big Mac, honestly. He's, he's, kind, of, he's kind of beefy. Um, I he love is, Big Mac time. <laughs> he is... um. He is another kind of like underclass boxer who kind of rose from the you know from the gutter, but his right. story is a lot more like harrowed and and violent. Uh, he kind of was kind of famous for being a real like kind of berserk style boxer, just kind of like you know threw himself at his opponents, come hell or high water. Uh, before you know, um, <laughs> uh, switching careers to a police officer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Oof. But well, they they made the claim he was a good cop that he did his best for you know the people in his you know yeah, and he got, is one of the good ones and he got paralyzed like saving kids from a burning building yeah and, uh, so you know the implication is he was a good one like he he tried his best pillar he, of the community well they should have made him a firefighter then but go on yeah I mean, yes. right I know right like he saved kids from a burning building so it's like couldn't you just made him a firefighter like <laughs> but 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 you know point is he gets paralyzed from like the neck down or something and like. He is offered a chance to get his life back by this uh, mega corporation called Rosco, who is uh, collaborating with Shirato, who were the mega corporation from season one, who sort of like spearheaded the the gear yeah. technology. But Rosco suggests a different uh, solution, which is a brain chip that is uh, inserted into into the into the subject and sort of like reawakens and repairs their like you know destroyed nerve endings and thus yeah. uh, Mac gets uh, gets his limbs back he becomes ambulatory again but uh, not only is he ambulatory again not only does he have his his life back together and you know he's he can he can hold his children uh, <laughs> he wants to get back into megaloboxing so <laughs> yep so they sponsor um, his return to the sport and He's rising up the ranks as the beloved Mac Time. And he is very clearly designed, he's very clearly framed as like a counterpart, like a, a, a modern counterpart to Joe. Like he is the people's hero. He rose from the underclass. Mm-hmm. Like he's fighting for his pride and his family. I mean, basically everything Joe was in season one. And so Mac and Lou fight and Lou initially dominates the fight until Mac activates his famous Mac Time. Which is, for some reason, ever since Mac Rosario came back to the ring after getting this brain chip enhancement, would sometimes enter a berserk fury mode that <laughs> enhanced his powers, basically. <laughs> and, oh, that's evil. Uh, oh yeah, no, everybody's like, wow, it's just, now that's Mac for you. He just, he just got the right, he just got the right stuff in him. And everybody, nobody is like, is it the chip? <laughs> is it the chip in his brain? <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, he goes. So he just like, beats the shit out of Lou and beats him into a coma. Right, beats him into a coma, just like savage, like Ivan Drago beating Apollo Creed, just like one-sided, just like uh, uh, it feels like an execution. Um, and it's revealed that Mac is definitely suffering from some like. It's affecting his mental state somehow. It is affecting his mental state. Like, it's almost like being framed as PTSD. Like, when he hears certain noises or certain stimuli, he sort of reverts reverts to an animalistic state, basically. And his family's concerned. Even, like, some of the corporation people are concerned. But the CEO of Roscoe is firm that, no, 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 the brain chip is working exactly as intended. There are no problems here. Can't wait to sell this to the military. Right, can't wait to sell. I'm about to sell this to the military. We can't afford any hiccups now. Mac, I think you're just tired. Get some sleep. Maybe take the weekend off. And it's, it's clearly building up to, like, a very, like, 
you know, highly likely to be violent and problematic, like, episode for Mac. Yeah. And this all kind of culminates in, like, the CEO basically convincing Mac, like, no, you see, Mac, like, it's just because, like, it's because you have unfulfilled dreams. That's why you're having these episodes. Wasn't your dream always to fight Joe? If you fight Joe, that'll, like, fix things, right? And Mac is maybe, he's a good-natured dude, but he's maybe a little too willfully ignorant, even for this setting. And right. so he agrees to it and challenges Joe to another boxing match, and that's kind of where the episode ends. And I think the, th- the, the thing for me that I'm a little, like, concerned about is, like, the show made so many efforts to kind of make it clear that, like, it's not that there, was, that there was nothing left in the ring for Joe, but that, like, the reason why Joe's life fell apart is because he entered the ring for all the wrong reasons. So, like, yeah. this being a manga about boxing, I'm not I'm not going to be delusional, right? I'm not going to, like, set myself up for disappointment. Joe will fight back. Like, there's no, like, no point right. in convincing myself otherwise. This will happen. And so, the thing I need to see from Megalobox is, can the people who wrote all the really wonderful character <laughs> stuff in the first, like, eight, nine episodes... Can they convince me that Joe has a good reason to fight this man? Because so far, right. there really isn't one. Like, there's no, like, real personal stake in it for Joe. So, like, mm-hmm. why would he fight this, like, man who is clearly, like, on yeah. a very dark path? I feel like I'd be disappointed if they just, like, drum up another group of orphans to save or something, right? Like, Yeah, I know. Uh, I think what it might be is... Shirato might ask Joe to fight so they can, like, get proof of Mac time or something to shut down the Roscoe or something like hmm. that. Yeah, which is, like, it, it, it is admittedly, yes, a more holistic motivation. But again, it, it feels... The show has been so personal. Like, the show has always been so personal about the interiority of Joe as a character. Right. Like, he doesn't strike me as the type of character who would, like... I'll do it to save the, you know, to stop the evil corporate. Like that's that's just not really right. Who he Joe needs a is. personal like motivation. Like, yeah. So. I mean, and, would like, it be to like make up with the one person he hasn't made up right, with yeah, yet? With Sachio. Maybe like the the reason the thing that I thought might might work is that Chief originally back all the way back earlier in season uh-huh. two, Chief fights for money. That's basically it. Like, yeah. and, and he was one of the most admirable characters in the whole show. They made it extremely clear that Chief was an admirable person because he fought for money. He didn't fight for ideals. He fought to make money to support his family. And so I could see them try to set up a parallel here where, like, Joe will enter the match, you know, not for ideology, not for pride, but to make a payday with which he can use to support his family to make good for when he left them when he they needed him most. Right. And I could almost see them justifying that, but again, they will need to put in some work to sell this. And the show's been really good so far, so I want to believe they can do it, but yeah. it, it is maybe on, on slightly shaky ground. I, I mean, my biggest concern is, like, now does Joe die, and then you undo <laughs> all I... the... Undo hope, all the I, the subversion of the original series I hope that they've been doing. I, I, I truly hmm. hope not because this show has done such a good job of like getting away from the legacy of Ashita no Joe, or or at least being in conversation with it. That to kill Joe, I think, would be a very like. I mean, they could frame it as 
him dying for an entirely different reason. Right. Like, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I'm not saying they should. I'm just yeah, saying. that's a tough. I don't. I don't think they should kill Joe. Like, right. like I feel, it feel because because this is one of those things in fiction where dying is the easy way out, right? Like, dying means you don't actually have to confront your problems anymore. Whereas, yeah. like, I feel like the big, like, theme of, of Megalobox 2 is that Joe cannot die because he owes it to the people he has wronged in his life to live, to live so that he can repent for what he's done. <laughs> right. So well, maybe, or maybe he die, just gets beaten so badly that he really literally can't box again or something. Right, maybe he gets crippled yeah. like, like Yuri did at the end of season one. Like, I, I could see that being, they could become wheelchair buddies, I don't know. But, um... Yeah, it's again, it's good. Like again, like as always with Megalobox, like wonderful presentation. Uh, Mabunoa's music in the last couple of episodes has maybe the been the best it's ever been. Like in in, in a show that has already been famous for great music, like the usage of his music to 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 evoke certain tones throughout the throughout the last couple of episodes has been has been masterful. Like you know, there are no issues on the technical side of things. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, we'll see if they stick the landing. Yeah. But it sounds like there's a <laughs> there's still some question marks going into the end there. Huh? Yeah, definitely. All right, we got a lot more anime to talk about, so keep it rolling here. Let me sneak in my my Super Cub Minute. Show continues to be great. They uh, since we last talked, they did they do a little mini time skip of about six months. And uh, now it's like winter time, so the girls are trying to get their winter gear together. When but suddenly pretty... AI destroys the world. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but no, it's 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 pretty great because you know I I was talking about how I appreciate that there's actual like character development and growth going on in the show, and it's right. And now that we've had the time skip, like the girls are like actually like real friends now. They're like constantly hanging out and talking and like. Mm-hmm. The main girl's getting like downright sassy. It's pretty great, <laughs> um, and uh, they they do their their spin on the cultural festival episode. Sure, Would they, do is... they drive somewhere like, instead? Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty great. They, there's a scene where the so so we there's been a third girl on the op that we have not met, and this is like episode like eight now or something. <laughs> like we right. have not met the third girl yet. So we finally meet her. She's the student council president. She's like this tiny little girl. And she's trying to organize the class cafe for the festival. And, um, you know, they're they're talking about what they're... they're and, like, the main girls don't care. They're just going to go ride their motorcycles. <laughs> and and uh, so, that, so then they overhear them talking. Like, oh, no, the teacher was supposed to deliver the, the coffee makers and... You know they can't do it now, and we don't have a car to bring them over. What are we gonna oh my do? God. <laughs> and and so so they're they're like they're like, well, maybe my parents could do it. I'll call them, and they're they're like they're working stuff out. And so the main girls again are like, well, sucks for them, and they're about to walk out. Oh wow, okay, never mind. <laughs> just, just bail on them. That's great. until Jeez. until one of the one of the kids is like, well, we could use motorbikes, but there's no way that would work. They wouldn't be able to carry that much equipment. <laughs> Ah, doubting the super cub, are you? Fair enough. And so the girls just stop. They don't say anything to each other. They just stop in their tracks. They turn around. They turn around. And they're like, "All right, we'll take care of it." Christ. <laughs> so, so they they get like a trailer and one of those like um, I don't know what you call them. Those like delivery 
apparatus things you've seen on the back of some of the super oh, cubs yeah, before sure. that yeah, carry yeah. stuff and they they manage to uh figure out how to do it my 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 personal favorite shameless plug in this whole sequence was if that wasn't a plug enough they they go to the other school to pick up the the coffee machines and one of the teachers is like oh yeah my grandpa's a super cub maybe maybe I should ask him if he can you know give it to me and she, she and one of the girls is like no you should buy a new one and then they just ride off <laughs> 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 oh man! I like like I said last episode, man. Japanese product placement is the best. I I don't it know. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why we love it, but it's pretty great. The audacity! Yeah, the blatantness of it. It's something to do with the blatantness. It it's so obvious. It becomes charming in a weird right. way. They're not like, trying to fool anybody. You know, like like fucking. It's you know, honest. If, if, like if Lexus gets 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 the contract for product placement in a movie, you'll just see a bunch of shots of like Lexuses right. from the front, so you can see the like the, you know the, the logo on the, the front, grill. Right. But like if a Japanese product got the Lexus like endorsement, it's like a character fucking looking at the camera and being like, only a <laughs> Lexus my Lex- uh, could I've, could I've handle. I've got to put in a shout out here for Jackie Chan and his sponsorship partnership with partnership with Mitsubishi. Are you about to say Mitsubishi? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Especially in Wheels on Meals. Wheels where, on Meals, like, dude. Where the old lady like jumps a crossing with her car and then gets yeah. out and says, "You idiots, lucky I've got a great car or I'd be oh, dead." Oh, dude. You, you you don't even. I literally watched Wheels on Meals yesterday. Oh, so good. So yeah. good. Pretty great. So good. Um. Yeah. So of course this this stunt so impresses the student council president that she wants to hang out with them although currently she only has a weak and inferior regular bicycle ah. uh, so she has not gotten her super cub yet but it's only a matter of time uh-huh and uh so they they start hanging out actually though. to that to that logic so are, do are all the girls driving like the latest super cubs then like nobody's like kind of using an old beater. Or oh whatever. well, let me tell like, you. Um, oh my no, god! No, the, the main the main girl has an has an old one. Okay, okay. it's like the classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the classic sure, the OG. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the her friend had an old one that got destroyed when I was telling you about her trying to drive up Mount Fuji. Uh huh. Right. So she bought a new one, which was like the hot, like souped up model. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So she's got like it's she's got like this really nice one, yeah. and then the main girl has like the classic mm-hmm. version, and <laughs> oh, it remains to be seen what the uh, the third girl will get, I'm which is interesting because we're now on nine episodes in, and it's not a lot of time it for electric her. Electric super cub. Yeah, is that a thing? Yeah, maybe she'll get like the super modern one or something. I don't know, but uh, yeah. Uh, th- there was one weird bit I wanted to mention. So, the the class president apparently is like half american or something and her family has this like weird german bakery slash american diner that they run and for some reason like when they introduce her mom who is presumably american like she's like completely ashamed of her and doesn't want the girls to see her and like covers up her face when she comes in i was trying to figure out like is she ashamed that her mother's a foreigner or something like hmm because it wasn't like, it wasn't like she came in like you know stereotypical anime American like twirling around in a stars and stripe bikini or something, right? Like it was right. just like she was just like a normal, nice middle aged woman that happens to have blonde hair and blue eyes. And I was like, that's 
kind of weird. I couldn't figure out what they were going for with that. But yeah. Anyway, uh, other than that, show is pretty great. I'm enjoying that. So, all right, let's move along and talk about. 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, 86, Take it out of context, sound like perfectly enjoyable anime military fiction, but when taken in aggregate as like the sum of its parts, is somehow a worse product. <laughs> like that's continues to disappoint, huh? Yeah, like I don't know. So like the last two episodes, okay, I think what was it like? Uh, basically, we find out that. The 86th Squadron that Lena commands is not just a suicide squad, it is the double suicide squad. And oh, basically, sure. the reason they haven't been able to get new reinforcements is because any 86er in the field uh, of, from any other squad, if they actually manage to live through their five-year conscription period, then gets transferred over to the 86th squad that we know of as, mm-hmm. like, to 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 yeah. definitely basically to ensure that they die in the field right and like lena looks up like old orders for her squad and finds that periodically they literally just get a suicide mission of go attack this base with uh no reinforcements and uh if you retreat uh we'll blow you up yes and that this has happened several times to just clear clear out the squad and now it's her turn and it's like, so here's the thing. I am not so naive as to think that the military in any world, in any country, in any time period is not capable of needless cruelty. But the needless right. cruelty in 86 is like, it's so like, it's so over the top. Like it, it actively hurts like the people committing the cruelty. And thus it I, I, I was going to say, there's no military advantage to doing that right, right? there's like, like zero it's, it's literally nothing is to be gained from it right like like usually you know you're actually you throwing s- away resources right right because they, they still have to equip them with tanks and ammunition and stuff to keep up the pretense of ah this is a legitimate military unit but like right. you know again like look like penal battalions are a real thing in human history i will not give the same like spiel i gave Eero because this is not legend of the glorio heroes where i can go on my <laughs> history tangents but the point is, like, penal battalions have existed in history for highly specific reasons in, 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 in human history. And the penal battalion in 86 is, like, so comically, like, 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 grim. It doesn't even make sense because it's not like the people in power even get anything out of it other than it's a very expensive execution. Like, they literally, they right. literally say, like... We are like one of the characters says we explicitly desire to commit genocide of the 86ers. Like that is our so, explicit stated goal and we will do it by putting them into expensive <laughs> robot tanks and sending them to their deaths instead of just I don't know lining them up in, in front of a firing squad. Impressive use of the word genocide there as well. Well, I was going to say fight the the robots is the thing. It's like I, absurd. Go ahead. I, 
I was going to say, is this a racism thing, or are they just trying to keep him quiet about the secret, or what's like the, the motivation? Yes and yes and yes. Both? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, There's an incredibly wacky scene where <laughs> they literally, the, sci- the Lena's scientist friend, like, t- goes on a tirade about her her dramatic backstory and how she used to be friends with an 86er kid until she just, like, learned of their issues or, or and shouts, you filthy colored at him. Whoa. <laughs> and it's... Yep. So on the nose and ridiculous. It's... Just... You can see what the show is trying to do. You can see why the show, in the broadest sense of the term, probably has, like, relatively benign intentions, but sure, it is, yeah. like, wielded in the most, like, in the clumsiest, like, heavy-handed ways possible. Like, it, it, it thus loses any sense of nuance or actual, like, ability to, to affect me emotionally. So, does Lena actually do anything about this, or...? Kinda. Okay. Like, that's also the thing that's kind of, like, the Lena parts of the show continue to be the weakest parts because she continues to sort of just be the ineffectual, like, liberal that, like, condemns what is being done but, like, does not do enough, does not commit to enough tangible action to, like, I'll say she tries, like, you know. They they try to make it seem like she's trying and just getting stonewalled. Right. Except they only do, they only show her trying, like, once. Yeah, and, like, here's the thing. I don't mind that she fails. In fact, I think it is thematically appropriate she fails. Because one of the characters literally makes the point, like, what are you going to do? Like, give a heartwarming speech and convince the entire military-industrial complex to change its mind? Like, that's not how this works. Like, and I wouldn't want that. I would not want her to give the heartfelt speech with the Sawano insert track, and then suddenly the (laughs) warmonger, you know, the third, wipes a tear out of his eye and claps. I don't need that. I don't want that. Like, that... That would be even more insulting. So, her failing to drum up any support fits, actually. Like, it is thematically appropriate. And so, in an individual... Like, as an individual scene devoid of context, I'm like, that's actually a good scene. The problem is in the context of the show, it is the latest in a line of her ineffectual attempts to to, to get anything for her 86, like, like squatties. Like, like she has failed at every turn to gain them any tangible benefit despite her position as a member of the, like, military leadership. So, it just continues to make her seem, like, ineffectual and, and, like, impotent. Like, just, like, why is she even here? And... Right. The 86 side is a little bit better, because it does probably one of my favorite tropes in, like, military fiction, which is, like, it does the montage of, like, the last few remaining surviving members of the squad kind of going through the motions on their last day before the suicide mission, you know? Like, one of them cleans the windows, another one's just, like, cooking up a meal, you know, another one's, like, reading a book, you know? Maybe they, they'll finish this book before they die, right? Like, just, people are living their lives. And that that feels like a very honest interpretation of, like, what military life is actually like. And I think it's, like, relatively well done. Like, there's a, you know, there's the great classic shot of, like, the last five of them sitting in this, like, gigantic cafeteria that's meant to house, like, 50 people. And, like, right. it feels very lonely, right? There's five of them left. They're all on one table. It's the only table that's lit up. And it actually does an effective job of commun- communicating the very real, like, stakes that have been in this show. But, again, it is all in service of a show who's, like, 
overall aggregate storytelling like constantly fails to hit the mark. So that's why it feels like it's a collection of like individually really interesting scenes strung together into a story that's just not particularly compelling. Yeah. So do they actually kill everybody? Basically, yeah. Like at this point, like again, like they start I mean, so here's the thing. In Classic Valkyria Chronicles like manner, it's they started off with like thirty squad mates. Like ten of them were the ones who actually mattered. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. You look at those. You look at those ten in the lineup, and you're like, oh, okay, you're the one with pink hair. You're the one with like the scar. Okay, you guys are the ones who actually matter. But right. they have been pretty good about steadily killing them off throughout the show. But if yeah. they're so, so have we left off with them down to only five, and we don't know what's going to happen yet, or? Right, well, the, the the like five quote unquote main ones that are still alive are going off on their big important mission now. Okay. Yeah, their suicide mission where they're fucking. But they have not technically died yet. Not yet. Okay. And and the idea is like you know Lena is like why don't you just run away like like why do you do this and again like because of the dumb like plot reveal from like last time right like they know that uh, the main. The main dude, the the squad leader, Undertaker, that his brother's brain has been, like, used as a biocomputer to increase the AI's, like, processing right, power. Right, right, so, right. like, for him, there's a personal stake in it, right? He, he is charging into the suicide mission because he wants to, you know, perform the mercy killing of his brother. And I guess the other four are along for the ride because of Nakama or something. I don't yeah. know. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that do you think they'll actually go through with it, or will they pull something out their ass to save them? Oh, they'll pull something out their ass. Okay. Uh, Undertaker will probably survive. Maybe he's yeah. the only survivor, but he will definitely survive. Like yeah. my understanding, of this light novel is still concurrent, so like yep. he'll definitely live. Maybe the other four will die. Maybe one or two of them will live. Who knows? But like, yeah, I was gonna say that to keep the story going, you'd have to like bring in another squad or something, right? Like, right, right. My my suspicion is that. You know, they will succeed where nobody else has had. They will they will succeed what should have been a suicide mission, yeah. and that will cause some sort of like status quo change because like, you know, they they lived when their 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 ex- the stated purpose of this mission was to kill them, and right. that will like, they will suddenly have a higher value than just dying at that point. Right, right? but hmm. you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. That's always that's always disappointing when. A show underperforms, like because <laughs> it does sound like there's some cool ideas to play with there. Yeah, it, they're, they're, they're really trying by the sound of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's try and unpack Odd Taxi. We have fully entered the Yakuza dimension. Things have gotten wild over the past two episodes. If they weren't wild already, it's um, such a escalation. great example of escalating and yeah. escalating and. Making even small things seem super crazy. Right. Yeah. I, I think the biggest plot point was introducing Yano, who yeah. we've had mentioned before, but we haven't met him. He's the, been mentioned as Dobu's rival. The rapping porcupine gangster. Who rides, <laughs> rides a scooter. A, rides a razor scooter. Um, Just like... I, I I know we should like probably do this episode by episode, but Yano is like a really fascinating villain for me, like because like his appearance and presentation makes him seem like the most like shitty millennial stereotype, right. but like he is in many ways actually the most like 
uh, fucking like unnerving villain in this. He's show. a bad I mean, dude. He's I mean, a my, bad man. The thing I've been saying is that the show intentionally uses the distance between his overtly comic persona and the stuff he is actually doing right. to create deliberate dissonance, yeah. and it makes yeah, it like, really unnerving, as you say. Right, like, it, it, it creates that interesting contrast where, like, Dobu is the devil you know, like, he's a thug, and you know it. He's very upfront about it, right? right. In a way, it's, you're, you're, you are not surprised when Dobu is willing to, like, mercilessly beat a dude on the street. But, right. like... Yano's like entire thing is like, like I was telling, I was saying the chat. Yano feels like an actual like villain from the Yakuza games. Yes. Like you could have a cutscene <laughs> of like when Yano makes Kakihana call his mom. That feels like a fucking like cutscene. That that feels like a villain establishing cutscene straight out of a Yakuza game. Right. You I know, think like, now I the... need to smash this guy's face in. Right. I, I think one of the important things as well is that even though. To us, the audience, Yano is such a completely ridiculous figure. Everybody in universe treats him deadly seriously, oh, and, yeah, he, totally. and he takes himself deadly seriously yes, as well. Like... And so you you see this character who kind of is surfing on this wave of arrogant self belief, and nobody wants to stand up to him because they're just terrified of him. And I think it works really well. Yeah, yeah. So then we also get. Otakawa kind of making his move in trying to use Dobu and all the other, all the other things going on, Play and we kind of side. get the people start questioning whether Otakawa has psychic powers <laughs> or or mega synesthesia. Like, yeah, sure which, do. which I will again point out as someone with synesthesia, that's not how synesthesia works. But uh, yes, uh-huh. um, they're they're trying to figure out he has some kind of like recall or something that they're trying to figure out i doubt that he actually has psychic powers like they're saying but there's something up with his brain i mean i i think the show has been implying that odakawa has some sort of condition like i i I don't want to say like i don't know enough about various things to say whether what exactly that is but like the doctor looking at his brain scans has been a, a little bit um it feels like that there's something he has to say about that you know so i don't know if they're trying to imply that odakawa is i don't know insane perhaps like mm. i've seen a lot of theories floated around that he's hallucinating everything or and everything like not that. seeing I, the world as we're seeing it i i definitely don't think the implication—I don't think even the show is necessarily implying that far. I think—I think it's more like the implication seems to be that Otakawa is, is perceiving the world differently. But like, I don't think it's—I I don't think we're going to end up with some situation where nobody was actually real or anything like that. Oh, like, I no. think that I, mean... I think the thing like there's been far too much like emphasis on like the very like real ass things that have been happening to characters even outside of Otakawa's sphere of influence. That I think that you know. It's probably going to lead into that part where, like, you know, they say that Otakawa is, like, weirdly good at recognizing people. And, like, it's probably a lot easier to pick out a person in a crowd if you know they're a cat or something. Or they look like a cat to you. (laughs) I I, I think I was, uh, the word I was looking for was um, disorder, almost. You know, maybe he is neurotic or or bipolar or something like that you know but i I also think that like a lot of the oh he he's crazy and you know he sees all the people as animals stuff a lot of it is just you know anime fans tend to have a tendency to want everything to be over explained and sometimes it's just 
you know, it's not that deep, bro. They're animals right. because it's more visually interesting than making them people. You right. Know. Like we said before, sometimes they're just animal people. Um, yes. Yeah. I, that's. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I. I, I think I, I. I. get what you guys are getting. I. I guess I just feel like the, the implication is becoming too much a part of the text now that I feel like it's hard to ignore. Like. Yeah. There's know, something. Like, there's something, something there. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The, there's a couple of other things that I wanted to point out. Um, I think that the show is incredibly good. I mean, we've said this before, but at kind of the slow tension ratchet where things just mm-hmm. get gradually, gradually worse in kind of like weird ways. Like we've like the evolution of extremely online dude we've seen from him wanting to go viral on Twitter to now he's like stirring up a hate mob basically and like posting vigilante screeds on youtube and stuff and just kind of like seeing him gradually go that and there's one thing i uh really want really liked uh as like a character piece which is where uh kakatani's finally been taken in and like beaten up and the the girl he was going to propose marriage to the honey trap you know she says i can't do this i want out but it's not because she feels sorry for him. <laughs> right. She like hates it's... him. She thinks he's creepy as hell. She just wants out because she f- she finds it a pain and she doesn't want to have to pretend to be... And I think... <laughs> pretend to be attracted to old guys mm-hmm. anymore. And I think that that's like a really good piece of texture because of course oh, the yeah. classic cliche is that oh no he's she genuine really did love him yeah, right. yeah he's genuine right. like the stuff for her. was saying before. yeah you know yeah, but right. no like she doesn't feel guilty about it you know she just wants out for her own sake and right. that doesn't necessarily make her villainous per se but also well, like callous. it it, the, it bucks the the, the expected yeah. story going. i think i think that's one of the most interesting things Particularly with Kakitani, because a lot of the other characters. Also, I, are... I need I need to swing in real quick. Kakitani is the anti AI vigilante. This is Kakihana. Oh, is yeah, the washed up forty yes. year old janitor. So eighteen year old women. You're <laughs> absolutely right. Um, <laughs> what's interesting with him is like more so than the other characters. It's it's a it's kind of a mix of you feel a little sympathy for him, but also he brought pretty much all of this upon himself it's that classic combo of like pity but also like like maybe the guy doesn't need to be deserved to be mercilessly beaten in the uh and and forced to call his mother but but also his sins are so minor i mean it's not like also like it's not like he's been like a creepy perv or anything like that you know he's just desperately like naive I, 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 yeah, I like I think that... I think that's a fairly charitable reading of Kakihana. Like I think that yeah, like in the grand scheme, especially in the show where like now we are beginning to see some of the rot of these characters underneath. Like yeah. yes, Kakihana in the grand scheme of things is a fairly benign character. Like you know, yeah. like look, yeah, you know, it's it's a little it's a little creepy, but there's technically nothing illegal about a forty year old dating you know an eighteen year old person, right? It's like I mean, I, it, I would say that the show acknowledges how creepy it is. You yeah, know, the exactly. reason the reason it works is because it's a little uncomfortable, and also because it is so obviously a trap. Right, but like at and, the end of the day, it's like the worst thing he ever did was. I mean, well. The worst thing is that the worst <laughs> thing that he ever did are things he did to himself, right? Like Kakihana didn't hurt other people. Every every dumb action he took, like, hurt yeah. him. You know, taking out the loans and dealing right. with you know fucking loan sharks and. <laughs> yeah. Right, he's still a sympathetic character. 
Yes. Is he is he more or less sympathetic than Simp Coon, the uh, idol guy? I I got a soft spot. I got a soft spot for Simp Coon just because like he means well. He hasn't, you know. Right. Simp Coon actually hasn't done anything wrong. He actually technically hasn't done anything wrong, right? Like if, if Other you want to get suckered by the idol industry, right? Like, like, like if, if you want to create the two point axis of Odd Taxi, where one axis is like did everything wrong to did literally nothing wrong, and the other axis is like sympathy versus no sympathy, like. <laughs> He is probably the most sympathetic character who hasn't actually technically done anything wrong, right. other than being an idiot about his lottery winnings. Right. Like I would, I, I'm not sure. Like, is is that just how the lottery works in Japan? Like, you choose not to cash in your lottery just ticket. Like, is that? I mean, it, I yeah. would imagine most real life lotteries take a while to pay out. Like, you don't go in the next day and they right, give but, you a check or but something. But also, lotteries don't, like, just hand you a sack of cash and be like, all right, right. Maybe you're they on your own Japan, to walk to the bank. You know, right, yeah, like, I don't know. You, you I know, I know, like a, a I know in America account. they pay it out over time. Yeah. They don't give you a they don't give I, I you think the million that, dollars in a sack, right? The I think just that for though, both, like, Simp Idol Dude and Kakihana are, like, great examples of, again, the show is really good at depicting how simple mistakes and small interactions sort of spiral out of control like in kakihana's case you know he he just got in too deep you know and that's kind of happening to idol guy as well you know first he was just like he just like likes the group and you know maybe is in love with the lead singer but then he won the lottery and now suddenly he's at the center of this weird like bank robbery come conspiracy theory you know or a gotcha gamer going back to buying erasers, right? Like, <laughs> right, yes. You know, but but just that kind of, you know, the show has been very good about building up those plot lines little bit by little bit so that when, you know, eventually now that we reach the point where everything has snowballed so rapidly out of control, you believe that everybody went in with the best of intentions, you know. Although yeah. sometimes those best intentions were, I'm going to rob a bank or like, <laughs> beat yes. someone up. I, I think that's a good way of putting it, Sig, is that, like, this show has really, like, I, I think Snowball Effect is really the best way to describe, like, the ways in which Odd Taxi has escalated. Because, again, like, you know, we all remember those first few episodes where we were just like, what's going on here? Is he hiding a girl in his closet? Like, <laughs> and now we've escalated to, like, you know, the fucking, like, Charlie Day fucking, like, wire corkboard conspiracy of, like, okay, so Gacha Gamer has two, at least two bullets left in his gun. Uh, <laughs> Dobu is trying to rob a bank. Yano is currently, like, But Dobu you know, also here. might be number one on the Gacha Game leaderboards. Right, and, exactly. Right. Like, uh, uh, the comedy duo's over here, and one of them is dating Nikaido, who's part of yep. this whole fucking catfishing... Sk- it's, it's, like, it's... it's is she, really- though? That's the question. Is she... Is she in on the catfishing too, or is she excluded? I, I, she knew because about it, yeah. She must she, be. She must. Like, right. She knew about it, yeah. But is she yeah. excluded from actually doing the dirty work because she's the face and yeah, the one that's, actually that, that, making that the money? Were, right. That's what they were... what they implied. Yeah, I think they were right. implying, yeah, is that the when, lesson when, to... When uh, the Calico asked, like, can I quit? And she was told, like, well, you're not making as much as Nikaido is, so right. you're going to have right. to keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, that's All right, right. Last... Like, there's, there's a lot of like fascinating, like like at bare minimum, there's a lot of people in this show who are complacent with some pretty <laughs> dirty shit. So yeah. right, yeah, everybody's got their hands into something, or at least yeah. knows about something. But all right, so last chance here for wild predictions. Mm. Like, what what's in Otakado's closet? Okay, it's a cat. 
You think it's a cat? A regular cat. Uh, just a regular cat could be. Um, I I can't believe at this point that he actually has a girl in there. I don't think so, especially with the reveal of them like fishing a body out of the ocean. Like yeah, and they they kind of they kind of make that joke right because the cop guy is like, "Have you like, got a girl? Do you have the girl in the closet?" Yeah. And he's like, "No." <laughs> right. Um, and also with everything we've seen about Odakawa, I. He, he just doesn't seem like the kind of person who would either take in a teenage runaway or kidnap a teenage but runaway. do we know Odakawa? Do we really well, know? Well, that's the question. <laughs> the, the rules of writing dictate that, like, you know, that the scenes in which Odakawa is, like, isolated should be presented in good faith, right? Like, like if you if you, if you you have a... If, you, if, like, the next episode has a sudden flashback to, oh, the real Odakawa, then it has, like, broken some key rules in, like... Ah, how the to, like, heavy rain rule. Yes, right. Yeah. Yes, I mean, yes. For, for a great example of bad writing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel like I. I don't know if that was just a red herring. I feel like that's all a little disappointing. But I would also be disappointed if you actually had a girl there. I don't know what I want out of that. I mean, but, I, that is I, I don't the weird think, thing I feel about this show. <laughs> I don't think it's a red herring because the girl is important in other ways, right? She's yes. the daughter of the crime lord who is above both Dobu and Yano. So. Right. And like he still has that camera footage, and yep. yeah. So there's still she is still connected Something. to the plot in uh, other ways, and it's just so much fun seeing them like you know pull to like tighten the web and watch all the strands yeah. pull together, you know. And uh, but who, uh, some stuff is going to get wild. Oh, who yeah. takes who takes a bullet first? I mean, at YouTube least guy. What- well, I we wish. want YouTube guy we, to take the ball. We, we first. want the YouTuber to get shot. <laughs> my 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 sad, uncomfortable like feeling in my gut is that if there's gonna be any piece of shit who gets out of this relatively unharmed, it's probably him. He gives me that vibe of like mm-hmm. the kind the character who's just infuriating to see get off scot free, but will right. because he 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 occupies a specific type of banal evil that is not as easy to like throw the book at as say a bank robbery or kidnapping. <laughs> right. Okay. Idle simp then. I think again. I think at least one shot is getting fired at Otakawa. Who knows? Maybe two. Like I, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like that has to happen, right? Like the buildup is too much, right? Like I mean, you don't it, have Gacha Gamer running around with a loaded gun unless he takes a shot at Otakawa. Like that's he already has taken a shot at him, but um, oh, well, all right, I, fine. Uh, <laughs> I will point out also, yeah, shot that could hit him. Um, I will point out as well that Gacha Gamer has been conspicuously absent from the past couple of yeah. episodes as a physical presence. Like obviously, well, he did get beaten by Dobu, right? No, that was that was not actually him. No, that was just. No. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. That was just that was, a that was one of the, dude. That was one of his right. vigilante YouTubers, like, pretenders. Yeah, no, no. Gajigame right, is still out. He, right. Yeah, he's a wild card. Yeah. And the thing, the thing that's, like, really he, he interesting. He has not appeared and, like, since like, he shot up. Um, yeah. And, like, I, I like the really sinister thing about that is, like,. He knows, he, he knows where Otakawa lives, right? So he is choosing not to make an appearance yet. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he'll try to shoot Otakawa and he'll block it with his synesthesia powers. <laughs> this isn't Kanan. Look. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to keep making fun of that. But Yes. All right. Let's keep moving. Let's keep talk about on. Tier Eternity. Gugu is here. Gugu is the best. Yeah, so I, I want to I wanna throw a question out to 
G and Iroh here as manga readers, because you you guys have been asking me how I feel about the show, yeah. not knowing anything. How do you guys feel about the adaptation? I have I have somewhere I'm going with this, but I think it's been solid. It's complicated. I mean, we—that's uh, due to due to reasons of where the manga goes past the purview of this adaptation. Like feelings can be complex. However, the actual quality of the adaptation itself, I think, has been solid. Fine. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, the adaptation itself is a solid presentation of the current events of the To Your Eternity story. <laughs> so. Um, Go ahead, I, Joe. I, I kind of bring I bring that up because, and I'll, I'll be interested to hear your take as well, Zig, because we haven't heard from you since the beginning of it. Mm. But I'm I feel like I'm not feeling this show as much as I should be. Like I'm not liking it, and I'm trying to figure out what is missing for me. I don't know if there's some kind of like I was curious if there's some kind of maybe like a level of nuance or something that's missing being at, adapted into animation rather than being in a manga or something. But I don't know. Like I, there's, a, there's, I mean, there's a couple of things for one, maybe it's, we're not spending enough time with the characters before they go, or like we're not spending enough good time to balance out the bad time or something. I don't know. I, um, I would say to that, uh, unless, unless you want to, you want to, you want to jump off that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to me one of the problems is that Fushi just isn't really a character, you know. And I get it's because you know we are meant to watch his slow evolution right. into a fully grown yeah. character, but at the moment mm-hmm. it just kind of feels that like things happen around him, and that's that's not right you know right. Kind of, that he, hasn't he, been he is, he's not an satisfying. active protagonist right, right. He, he is very passive at it, the it's not even that as as well it's that it's something about that there's no like because a protagonist is meant to be the conduit through which we see the story and the characters right and it just you know there's such a because he is dispassionate because again you know he is learning emotion he is learning attachment you know, it just kind of feels the the presentation feels very distant. You know, it feels like mm-hmm. we're watching a series of vignettes, and they are knowingly vignettes, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's that's an interesting I point, Zig. I don't think that bothers me though. Like, but the yeah, I, I think I think I would agree with that. But um, I don't know, guys. We talk about this not being misery porn, but when uh, who's the new kid? Uh, what's his name again? Gugu. Gugu. When 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 he when he takes the log to the face, <laughs> I almost start. I almost started laughing at how just like yeah. Oh, it is comical. Oh, it is funny. It is very funny. how ridiculous. But not not because it was meant to be that whether it was meant to be funny or not. Just like just like just how like cruel the whole thing. Oh was. yeah, no, it's just like, well, I mean, and I I don't feel like I will okay, say so, as well. Uh, Sorry, can I say something first there, G? I yeah, think go ahead. that um tonally as well, I think that part of the thing which interested me about this show was its sort of like big picture view on sort of life and existence and stuff like that. And that's one of the things I think which has been a strength of the show, which is why I wasn't really a fan of fucking Emperor Palpatine showing up. Yes, and going, that was ah, the other ha, point ha, I was going to get to. I've unleashed this Silent Hill monster on you, and now you must fight for your powers. And, I absolutely like, hated that. It, um, it feels like an out-of-genre experience in a yeah. very bad way. 
and I, I would be willing to overlook a, a moment or two of that here or there, but I really don't want any big meta plot out of this, to be honest. That I really did not like that whole section at all. It definitely feels like they're setting it up as kind of like, I am crafting you into the ultimate weapon so I can conquer the world or something. Yeah, know, and like. then like... And I'm sure uh, that's not where they're going, but it feels like it. And, and just petty side note, I can't stand that guy's voice. <laughs> ever ever since uh, Pari Ranman, I can't stand that guy's voice. He has been but, in good roles. I swear to God, he has. It's just the the past two because it was him, and then he was the creepy lieutenant guy in uh in Magatsubar Height. Magatsubar Height. I swear he's had good roles. You have to believe me. And now it's now just, this one, and I'm like, K- I, he was K Matuba. He was K Matuba. He was <laughs> he was Kaya Sato Kaiba. Sure, that was like uh, 25 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so, so, okay. so, yeah, I mean, and then, and then just coming back to my, I agree, I agree with that as well, Zig. I, I, I did not like that part at all. And just like going from one child being murdered to another one getting <laughs> smashed in the face with a log and permanently, his life permanently ruined. I'm like, come on. Like, we need more, like, if this is supposed to be about, like, the full life experience, I feel like we need more of, like, the ups and not just the downs here. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I okay. still, th- like, I think it, I think it's good, but I feel, I just feel like it's, it's not grabbing me the way it's supposed to. Like, I don't feel as invested in it as I feel like I'm supposed to be. I think that's fair. And, okay, so here's, here's my thing. So... I think some of your guys' concerns about this story are well-founded and valid. Um, You know, again, there are things I just cannot get into, but you guys, you know, have some valid reasons to to, to take issue with the story. I will say that, in hindsight, maybe Fushi's development feels more natural in the pacing of manga compared to an anime. Right. You know, I, I will say that, like, you know... I hate to do this with an animated adaptation. I hate to say, I hate to, to pull the wait till it gets good, but like, you know, g- give Fushi some time. He's he's a growing boy. Um, he right. will develop. And But, I mean, if you were reading the manga, you could have blown through all this in, you know. Like, I mean, I was reading it as, as it was going uh, right. at the time. Right. Uh, I will say, at least in terms of, <sighs> Arrow, you're with me, right? You can't stand this slander against Gugu. Like, it's... Uh-huh. Oh no, but, I'm I'm fine with Gugu himself. It just, yeah, the, like, the problem is not with the character; it's with what he represents. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just I'll, I'll just say this: Did we really have to you'll slam get some, the poor you'll boy's get some, face you, in? You'll get Gugu's you'll, arc is not finished. All yeah, right, like you'll, oh, you'll yes, get but, you'll get a bit more time with Gugu than I think and, you got with March. So that is the thing I want to say: is I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I'll just say March specifically has a fairly short storyline. Yeah. Like, in the context of like what to your eternity eventually becomes. March's story eventually becomes kind of a footnote pacing wise. Right. Um, and much of this is that as Fushi himself develops more as a person, as he gains more self awareness, mm-hmm. as he interacts with the world more, that also means he interacts with the characters who show up in his life more. And you will start to see this with Gugu. Like, right now, Fushi is still quite childish, right? He still doesn't really quite understand what he's doing. But. In many ways, the time that Fushi spends with Gugu will be foundational. It will, in many ways, define who Fushi like truly becomes as a person. Yeah. Um, in many ways, I would say, the thing you guys are seeing with Gugu right now is you are sort of like... It, it's sort of like you met Emil in Near Replicant, 
but he hasn't turned into a skeleton boy yet. Like, you have met the character, <laughs> you, you understand what the character is meant to represent, but you have not seen him grow into who he eventually becomes. Yeah. And Gugu's story is... It's only just begun. It's really good. It's really inspirational. I, I mean, actually like. We know he Gugu eventually gains the power to breathe sick fire. So, Gugu is like one of the highlights of, <laughs> of like of like this whole story. Like Gugu is like maybe one of, like he's such a good character. Like, I, I, again, I don't want to say give him time, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I no, I can I can see I yeah, can yeah. see that, and I'm willing to continue to give the show. And, room to yeah. develop itself I, but I, we are getting pretty deep I into it i know here. i know so i will also say that like and don't take this necessarily as a criticism because i don't think it is but it's still a bit odd to me how the show kind of gear shifts between like serious prestige drama and kind of goofy comedy points and so, I, i'm not sure i dislike it i think it's rather cute but it's I, odd Right, like, I mean, in many ways, like, you guys are saying there's not enough, like, of the upsides of life, and I feel like, I don't know, I think I feel like you actually get a lot of that with, like, when Gugu and Fushi spend time together. Like, Gugu's, Gugu had a hard life, alright? <laughs> he had a hard life, and he is yeah, going to continue... Yeah, I didn't even talk about his brother or whatever. Yeah, like, uh, him over. Gugu is going to continue having a hard life, and, and some of the inspirational part is, like, you know, perhaps similar to a certain precious skeleton boy. It is Gugu's determination to to live his life in the face of the things he faces like yeah. yes he he had a hard life yes he has been disfigured in this horrible accident but like he hasn't given up on life you know like yeah look at that kid doing pull-ups man like oh yeah <laughs> this kid is determined to live like <laughs> he's willing to pick himself up by the bootstraps um <laughs> i didn't mean it like that but God. yeah all right well Again, I, I'm st I'm st still I'm still enjoying the show. I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm watching it to the end, unlike another show that I dropped. But the uh, <laughs> I just look. It's a it's a good season, man. The bar is high right I know, now I know. for me. Like, yeah, it's so weird thinking that. Like I think prior to the season, I think we were all kind of agreement that like. Oh yeah, like two year eternity is going to be like the front runner of this season. Like this is going to be the like and maybe it would be for, maybe it would be of, even for me in another season, but maybe yeah yeah. It's, but it's, it's been such a competitive season, like for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I speaking of dropping shows, I did. I just did not want to watch Pretty Boy Detective Club, and I decided to watch Godzilla Singular Point instead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. I've only watched the, the first two episodes. Jet Jaguar. <laughs> yes. Uh, I've, I've only watched two the first two episodes, so I don't really have a whole lot to contribute at the moment, other than I I did like the two the first two episodes. I very much like the the mood they're going for. Yeah. Like the whole I just love the whole concept of like the mini Rodans being the herald of Godzilla and all that. Like it's, it's very well done. It's very a very good build up I can see happening here. The Rodan Defense League is writing you as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean to, um, to all those people who like Rodan, let me tell you. Like what if I told you that Rodan that, ain't shit. Well, A that, <laughs> but also B like related to that. Like what if we approached a point in Godzilla singular point where there would be so many Rodans that they would blot out the fucking sun. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's um, like low-key kind of, like, 
it's an interesting type of kaiju horror because it feels again I'm not the biggest kaiju guy but like I'll just say like where Godzilla Singular Point has been at lately is in, 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 a, in a way similar to Odd Taxi it has snowballed in a way where like even two three episodes ago I was like yeah things are looking bad but you know we're we still we're still on top of it we still got a handle on it jet jaguar will handle this and now in the current episode it's like <laughs> the i like the, the type of kaiju horror is like how do i even describe it's like what if what if rodan invoked the same feeling as seeing a horde of locusts descend upon a field of right crops? yeah like I mean, it what? kind of sounds like that they're trying to position position it a little more towards eldritch horror in that yeah, case. Kinda, like, yeah, like like the image of these kaiju as like world changing, reality shattering yes. things. It's 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 been really well done, and like again, like the show does such a good job of evoking tone with its imagery and its style of dialogue that I am willing to forgive. It's sometimes extremely heavy forays into techno babble. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna point that out. Like, there's a lot of talking. Yeah, I feel like this show would benefit from of the uh, D- Dinazine on awkward silence. Maybe <laughs> I, I do feel but, uh... that like because I watched the first episode alongside Iro and Aqua, and I enjoyed the concepts that they were playing with, but I wasn't a huge fan of the presentation, and that was the thing which sort of gave me pause in that first episode. It, it's not. I mean, I've, again, I've only seen the first two episodes. I don't feel like it's like that all the time. There were just a couple of spots. Right. But it's I definitely mean, like any time the scientist characters show up, it feels like it gets a little like yeah. a little dense. But and... just like um, moments, like because like in episode two, they start just like having dead Rodans wash up on yes. the beach and stuff like that. I'm like, see that that that's like that's like it's almost more terrifying than the live Rodan showing up. Like right where are these things coming from and like <laughs> we don't know what's yeah so i mean that so is I think... that is also a classic eldritch mm. horror trope yeah. right you sh- like something horrible and dead shows up and you're like this is yes. terrifying what would happen if it moved right. right like i think so here's the thing i think that where we are like currently was a singular point i think the presentation and the imagery it, they use is so strong that I, for the most part i am willing to either overlook or tolerate the techno babble. I, I will. Right. I, I will also, however, admit. I think Iro, you kind of got into this in a good way when we talked about it. If you, if you want to bring that up, uh, which part? Just about like... the tech, about the techno babble almost being more like tone or background, like music than. Co- oh, like you're that's... not really supposed to be right. paying attention to what like, they're saying. <laughs> just kind of to let it wash over me because at at a certain point, it's like when you get to like the texting scenes, and yeah. they are texting a thousand texts per minute. But the spoken dialogue is kind of just summarizing, like, all of the technobabble in their texts. Right. And that's sort of how I feel about when they're speaking the technobabble also. It's almost like just flavor to show that these people are smart and here's the points that you actually need yeah, to make. Yeah. Like, like, I feel like anytime, anytime the other point feels like you need to understand a plot point, they do a pretty good job of communicating it. Right. But any of the, like, yes, any of the, like, texture it's, of their, like... Yeah, it's like they could spend two minutes talking technobabble, and what I can get out of that is we need the orthogonal diagonalizer to defeat Godzilla, and they just didn't want to have the dialogue say, we need the orthogonal <laughs> diagonalizer to kill Godzilla. Right. Instead, we'll pad this out with some technobabble to make these people seem smart, like this is a big problem for big brains. Um, right. Unlike me. Okay. Uh, but also, also... 
Let us regale Meanwhile, the Jet tale. Jaguar's over here, baby. Jet Jaguar <laughs> and the great bug hunt of the Tokyo Bay. <laughs> Jet Jaguar has equipped the Spear of Ankyrus and is going to fucking is, kill some Kamun guys. He is getting to work. Again, it is some fucking Doom Eternal. The <laughs> only thing they have to fear is Jet Jaguar shit. Just like... <laughs> Jet Jaguar, like, so to, to, to summarize, like, Jet Jaguar, a, a new type of kaiju has kind of crawled out of the sea. It's like a weird spider crab thing, and it's laying right. eggs and kidnapping people and eating them. And so they send Jet, Jet Jaguar into that warehouse to clear out the swarm. And so Jet Jaguar is just like, it's some fucking Lubu Dynasty Warriors shit. Just Jet Jaguar, like, surrounded by corpses of kaiju, on top of corpses of kaiju <laughs> cutting down more. It's... It's absurd because oh, again, great. like Jail, since you just watched the cup, the, the the first two episodes, you kind of have an understanding of like how the scale of this show begins. Yes. And so the things I'm describing to you must sound fucking ridiculous, but yes. I, I I assure you, they get there. Like there's a linear linear path from where you are to Jet Jaguar qu- cutting a bloody swath through these kaiju. Um, there is literally the fucking like Ava. Taking out the umbilical cord, like, moment where, like, Jet Jaguar fucking... uh, Purge battery. Purges the battery to to get a burst of speed. It pulls off, like, a literal, like, platinum action games, like, jump flip, like, spear dive kick move (laughs) on these kaiju. It's it's so fucking crazy. It's probably actually the coolest thing Jet Jaguar has ever actually done. In any medium. In any yeah. medium. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I am looking forward to catching up on that. I will try and uh, get that done before it's... we wrap up. But uh, do you guys have any final predictions before? Uh... So, okay. So one last I do want to sh- I want to give shout outs to. Speaking to all this Eldritch imagery, there is a shot at the end of the latest episode we watched, which is nine. Was it? Was it nine? It was nine. Where after they finish like fighting those kaiju and running away. I I, right, I can't really back t- to Tokyo and uh, see the the fallout of of Big G, and... Big G, and Man. it's apocalyptic. <laughs> it's really good. It's like I don't I, I don't rarely shout out just like a specific still or background in anime, but like this shot of like them in the foreground in their boat like running away from like just this it's big horror- spiders, yeah. Yeah, but but also like further in the background, this horrifying like red eldritch like it looks like a mushroom cloud. Like it's very I mean, intentional. Yes. Like like this vortex like mushroom cloud. Wow, Godzilla's nuclear that, analogy. Who could have? Seen yeah, that I know, coming? right? But like it's just like the art of it is like so well done. Like it truly like in its single still communicates to you the like. It's like we just had trouble fighting the swarm of big spiders on one dock somewhere, and now we're out looking at at this. What do we? Yeah, do? <laughs> I have I have to say the art direction has been really good on this series. Uh, but but yeah, in terms of predictions, I'm not sure. Like again, like look, I love Jet Jaguar. Like Jet Jaguar, ride or die. I don't think Jet Jaguar is going to fight Godzilla. That's not this kind of show. Like right. like as much as I brag about Jet Jaguar, like standing on a tile on top of a pile of cor- kaiju corpses, these kaiju are like the size of a car. Like they're right. not. <laughs> Yeah, do you know, and again, this do you is know like the how, ten foot tall version yeah. of Jack. Jack do you know how yeah. many Godzillas it takes to block out the sun? One, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh. But so I don't think Jet Jaguar. 
I, I'm pretty sure Jet Jaguar is not actually going to fight Godzilla. At least not also, successfully, right? But also, Godzilla himself hasn't even really revealed himself yet, so we don't even have a good feel for, like, what type of Godzilla are we getting here? Like, are we talking about a Godzilla with an agenda? Are we talking about Godzilla purely the, like, force of nature? Godzilla, you know, the king of the monster? Like, we don't actually have a, a super strong feeling for what that is yet, and so it's actually still a little difficult to, to okay. predict... Let me make a pitch here. It's Godzilla versus Jet Jaguar, but what if Jet Jaguar could get real big? What if? <laughs> what if? What if he like did a thing where he said Jet Jaguar and punched at the screen, and then he got bigger? Like, whoop, whoop, whoop. T- uh, tell me more. Uh, <laughs> well, also he would have to be crucified at some point, <laughs> as you do. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, but yeah. So I, d- uh, yeah, I. Unless they pull out a bigger jet jaguar, maybe my imagination so, is not Eero big had to handle. A, uh... I- I- Eero and and I, I guess, sort of had our extremely out there prediction that we are we 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 are like we are like manically cackling about, and we're not sure we're actually serious about it, but we might as well put it out there in in the in the podcast. Uh, Eero, do you want to get into your talk of um, maybe jet jaguar uh, uh, eating kaiju flesh to power up? Oh, right. So the the show has has uh, dipped occasionally into the idea of the eponymous singular point, and how uh, the do- the doctor who's dead now like used quote unquote singular points, which are like mega supercomputers, to uh, to calculate the future and see that the the kaiju were coming, and that these singular points are made of the same material that the kaiju were made of. Then that's what allows the kaiju to like have future sight and uh be so powerful and so i was thinking like the i was half a jokingly saying the only way for jet jaguar to uh power up enough to fight a kaiju is to uh beef up his calculation power with kaiju with kaiju <laughs> juice with singular the to, point the only way to beat the kaiju is become the kaiju exactly if All uh right. if because they up because Jet Jaguar is piloted at the beginning, but eventually they the dude just uploads his AI buddy into it, right? Uh, oh, the uh, the AI program, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so I was like, well, this computer, if it had enough processing power, could fight the kaiju. If we hmm. if we get enough archetype material, if we get enough, red I don't know dust, if that would resolve the fact that Godzilla is thirty times bigger than so. Jet so Jaguar, basically, but... what if instead of LCL fluid, we just fill Jet Jaguar's chest with kaiju blood? <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would believe anything at this point. Who knows? All right. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. God. Also, a thanks, Netflix, because I believe the subs I'm watching are the official English Netflix subs, and they're just Possible. choosing not to release it in America. Cool. Um, just throwing that out there. The Gloria right. blog does not condone piracy, except when no. it would be cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just predicting what the show. We're just Give predicting what the show will be like when it comes out June 24th. We are also using archetype to tell the future. Uh-huh. Yes, I'm afraid <laughs> I know the tricorn is Napoleon's hat, not God the pirate it. hat. Oh, okay, that's important. All right, let's finish up by talking about Dinazenon. It's good. Dinazenon. Dinazenon. Sure is. You mean uh, Super Dragon King Kaiser? They called it Kaiser. Super Dragon King Kaiser Grid Knight. How long has it been since we had a robot call itself a Kaiser? 
<laughs> Mazen Kaiser, probably. Mazen Kaiser, probably. Yeah. So well, let me remind. We are, of course, we're of course referring to the climax of these two episodes, where everything that's been on screen combines together. It's like uh, it's like a six it's like a six unit like gatai like is so that... so like Dinah Zeon basically becomes the super armor for Grid Knight. Yes, as happened in Tokusatsu Gridman with the Dinah Dragon. There, she say she says new kaiju friend Goldburn becomes the backpack in the chest and yep. like oh yeah man, uh, Yomogi uh, becomes the bazooka, the gun and yeah you know, the big gun again yeah. <laughs> so my, my only funny... thing with that my only thing with that. Is the kaiju they're fighting seem kind of lame for that transformation? <laughs> a little, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> he was just like, I mean, he wasn't like particularly better than any of the other ones at that point, right? It was just like, well, well, he was bipedal, which is always in 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 mecha terms is always implied to be stronger, right? So you yeah, know. but he still looked like a weird building like a, creature like. like a piece of shit yeah yeah like he he, he didn't look like a final bo- final boss material that you would combine everything sure for. but uh but yeah i mean again we've got the we've got such a great marriage of the ridiculous super robot antics with the fantastic uh character work yeah um, we kind of alluded to chise kind of finally getting her moment this is an interesting take on this subplot like the the pearl right. like yes like again i'm not saying i wanted it to like go dark but i think many of us were maybe ha- had that like sinister feeling of like oh this pearl is going to turn to something bad right like yeah. this is going to like be catastrophic even and in so, the early going of it you were like oh yeah they're gonna have to fight this thing so for it to be a very like heroic um, a very heroic moment. A very, in fact, a very fulfilling moment for Chise, right? Like, yeah. because we find out that Chise's negative emotions come from her feeling of being left out, right? Her right. feeling of like not being a part of the team, and like, unfortunately, like, just some badly timed statements out of context from the rest of the team make her feel even more isolated. But like, and I'll just point out as well that uh, that sort of an extension. It's implied that she always felt isolated, even before all of the right, right. and stuff. Yeah. Like, and there were there were hints of that. Yeah, right. yeah, definitely. yeah. And so I think it is interesting that instead of like, instead of the turning this into drama, like oh no, Chise loses her way. Instead, it's no like in a weird way, Chise Chise's negative emotions about not being a part of a team coalesced into a way for her to tangibly become a part of the team. It's right. it's a really interesting, fun, and like way more optimistic like resolution right. than yes. I was expecting. But but once I saw it happen, I, I actually turned around. I was like, you know what? This is cool. Like this is awesome. Like she's a part of the team now. She 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 is the Green Ranger. Like this is. <laughs> This is fun. Like, right. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so for it. I'm so glad they didn't go. This that. could have been the, as you said, Jesus could have been like the the Ava unit for like Moment. possessed yes. bit. Yeah. Um, and instead, no, she she wanted to help, and so her her kaiju wants to help also. Right. It's a, more it's, it's cool. It's 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 neat. Yeah, and um, should we should we get into a little bit of the first episode of these two? <laughs> yeah, with yeah, the, yeah, with the. Yeah. Or right. like, the implication of like can, is is Yomogi a kaiju eugenicist? <laughs> is he a kaiju? <laughs> Maybe that right? Like, yeah, um, we don't really get any clear. Like, he's got some kind of he makes some kind of connection with it, but we won't get any clear mm-hmm. answers on that. No, I, I mean, guess my question, my question is like, well, here here's kind of my roundabout thinking. 
I mean, because we do see Chise control her own kaiju later. I mean, but if, is, if but our theory is not, cur- but she's not taking control of it in the same way, right? I, I guess. It just yeah, it's to more her. like right. They could not. Like, the kaiju eugenicists could not instant dominate it. So. I, I right. think the most interesting implication from that episode is, uh, I think it's Grid Knight who mentions that maybe this kaiju is like broken and useless because the person it came from is broken and useless and then overnight it becomes giant which presumably means that person found something in themselves Mm. but we're not given any hint as to who this person or people might be so it's kind of an open question at the end i mean so my thing is like if our prevailing theory is that akane created dinazenon is dinazenon just a kaiju in a roundabout way and I, I mean, f- I feel Gama like that's, was that's barely a twist at this point. Like, yeah, like throwing that out there, but and and, and, and like, Gamma was one of the kaiju eugenicists, right? right? Like, so I mean, I, mean, I, so, I don't. So it being a kaiju, I think, is possible because in the same way that Grid Knight was like an evolved kaiju in a sense, right? right? So like, it, you know, is it really that big a deal that Yamogi can do whatever he did? I don't know. Right. But they do. I, I mean, are you saying they, that they don't he's... bring up stuff for no reason, right? Like, yeah. Are you saying that his to be... ability to pilot Dinazenon is what gives him the power to use instance domination? Maybe they all can do that, and they just don't. Right. Realize but they it, all try. Right. Yeah. Even Gamma. Right. Like Gamma very much cannot control Kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't. I don't know where they're going with that. Like I said, I mean, they they wouldn't have brought it up if they didn't have some right where the way, direction uh, they were going with that yeah but they kind of put sh- they oh, kind of okay. put that on the shelf for now though yeah i mean we still got we still got a few episodes left right like it feels like we're approaching the climax but we do have like you know about three episodes left so like there's there's definitely still time to explore stuff right uh, the thing i wanted to actually shout out about uh episode um was it eight eight yeah is uh I really like that conversation Yomogi has with Auntie about, like, the nature of kaiju. And I feel like this is, like, maybe one of those times where I really think that using a legacy character was the best possible choice for, for Dinazenon. Like, Absolutely. Because, like, it is relying on knowledge that only a legacy character could have. Right, and, and, and the thing I pointed out in my post is that there is a level of dramatic irony there that is right. only apparent to the viewer because you know the past of Grid Knight, and therefore yeah. you know he is almost like you know that he speaks from experience but also that he is kind of not giving these monsters the chance that he had so it's kind of hypocritical but at the same time pragmatic and i think the thing that's interesting that is that it is a tough like it is a tough question without an easy answer because like yes anti was able to redeem himself but like we see like by and large most kaiju don't even possess the like basic ability of like or self-awareness so far yeah yeah it's worth pointing out that none of the kaiju appear to have been actively malicious until the eugenicists took them over though they have caused collateral damage by existing but they have not really like even the one in that episode like when it tries to climb onto the mall it's not trying to climb onto the mall because it is trying to destroy the mall it just doesn't realize that by climbing onto the mall it will collapse the building they're they're basically like wild animals and then the eugenicists are controlling them right right and but and i think that the interesting thing about how there isn't an easy answer is like yeah they might not have bad intentions but it still might end up killing a lot of people and it's right we don't really have an easy way to you know harmlessly restrain them so we gotta blow them up right it's it's a it it adds an interesting complexity to to their uh to their mission i i did 
kind of like that they're like oh we have to blow them up to protect life and then in the next episode they're like throwing tower blocks into the air and jumping off <laughs> well sure know. It's, yeah. it's still super a watch show. Yeah. they were fighting in the abandoned warehouse district exactly <laughs> yeah um also just continuing to do a really good job with yumogi and yume's oh yeah we got a side plot out. uh yeah and her, and her dealing with you know her sister and their relationship and also you know yume's character is just i just really love her character and the way she's handling the situation in a like understandable realistic way where she's not like totally consumed by what's going on but also it's clearly very much affecting her you know it's, she's, it's not she's, like a she's satisfyingly complex in her reaction right know, and... it's not like a big cartoonish you know i'm i'm so sad and yeah. useless <laughs> but now because... i'm better because you know yeah yeah i want I, to really... um i'll go on joe uh... I was going to say, I'm really curious about where Yume's story is going to go, because I feel like there's some interesting implications with her reaction to the information she receives in Episode 9, right? Like, because the the prevailing, like, sentiment from a lot of people is, like, maybe Kano really just did just die in an accident. Like, there is no, right. there is no conspiracy, right. there is no, like, dark tragedy, right? There is no, like, horrible secret she was hiding, like... You know, when when uh, Iro, you you mentioned this, uh, like when when Yume falls off the uh, the, the building, right. like by by pure accident, it almost feel like that is in in, in a ways like communicating like just how truly fragile human life can be, like how right. often how banal our deaths can sometimes be, right? Like you didn't jump off that building, you just you slipped and fell, and like that's you know sometimes that's right. all there is to it, right? It's and all the. All the people she's been talking to have been dead ends. And right. I, I, I was like... going to specifically say I I like their interaction with the ex boyfriend a lot. You know, especially the bit where you know Yume, you know, just breaks out and goes, you know, you should have saved her. You should have, and he just goes, yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? Because what the fuck are you gonna say to that? You know, what can right. you say to that? What was he gonna yeah. do? Right? Like, yeah, yeah. like, um. It's just kind of it's cruel in sort of like the best way for the story there. And I, I, I they were clearly trying to contrast that with Yamogi coming back to save her. Yeah, yeah. of course. But uh, which which I think in other contexts would be a little hokey. Hokey, but it it, I, it is a little hokey. But it, 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 it is a little bit, but. <laughs> Like, like Dino is hokey, but it's but it makes it work, right? It, because it, it is it's so sincere in its intentions. Like, they make it the feel work. like uplifting, more and, than, and they've yeah. done the work to make that re- that relationship right. feel right. earned. You know, they've like done when the work. when Yomogi like when Yomogi shows up and Gama's like, "Where the fuck is Yume?" And she's like, "Ah, uh, she's going through some shit." She told uh, me to here. come on without her. And Gama's like, "You fucking idiot, go back and get <laughs> <Right>. her." <Yes. laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good demonstration that. Gauma is very, very dumb, but he's not stupid. Whereas right, well, well, Yamogi is more, kind of the other more, way around. He's more emotionally mature than he appears, I think. But like yes. the fun thing with Gama, yes, is that he is a little bit the joke character. But he actually, like in his conversation with you know, in moments like the, his conversation with Koyomi and his bit with like Yomogi, he actually clearly possesses a pretty like mature. Like he's an actual adult. Yeah, he, he's right. But uh... he just looks like a crazy pink-haired bum. That's all. Right. Um. 
But yeah, no, they've handled that really well and not like laying it on too thick of this is the romantic couple yeah. or whatever. Like yeah. it's, I, it's I, all very good. The one thing I will say about episode nine is that I enjoyed where it goes because, again, it goes to a huge combined robot with a bazooka on its shoulder, and I'm never going to say no <laughs> to that. It does frustrate me a little that we had the beginnings of like a very Chise-focused episode that perhaps would dive deeper into her backstory and her characterization and then it sort of goes in another direction and that's not my... a critic that's not a criticism because obviously like i said i like where it goes but my hope is that we do get more of that because what right. we saw was interesting and a little ambiguous my hope is that with yume and yomogi's subplot not, not reaching a conclusion but very much like clearly like starting to like reach its denouement i do hope like look I, I I don't think, you know, just for better or worse because of, like, the the realities of storytelling and pacing, I don't think Koyomi and Chisei are going to get as much development as no. Yume and Yomogi, yeah. but I do hope they get at least, like, one more episode of focus, because I, I do think that, like, I, I don't even think Koyomi's story is, is, is like, concluded no, yet. Like, I, I he still has underlying trauma to work through. There's that... something, there's more trauma there than you would find from just finding a big bag of money. Right, exactly. Know? There is right. more to that. We yeah. are not done there, so I do hope that gets uh, that continues to develop. But I will say related to that, one moment I really loved in this episode that is almost like Dinah Xenon taking advantage of its truncated pacing is that Chisei shows up with her, her kaiju and it's like, this kaiju wants to help us. And Gamma's like, what the hell? And Koyomi's like, if Chisei says that kaiju wants to help us, I'm going to trust her. Yeah, and Gamma's just like, yeah, you're right. She's our friend. Yeah. And it's like, you just know the version of this that is like 52 episodes. <laughs> yes, had... there's like an entire plot arc about how, you know, can we trust her judgment on this call? Right, and stuff like right. That. And it would have been like really agonizing to watch because we know where it's going. Yeah. They had to go through the motions. But because this thing's only 13 episodes, we don't have time for that. So, hey, Chise shows up with a new power up. And because we're good friends, we trust her. And we're gonna, you know, rely on her. And it's just like, that's awesome. Like, that's a great use of your, your shorter pacing to. Yeah. To create something that's more emotionally fulfilling, and it's just the show's just overall the way they are they manage to be positive, uplifting, and not like in a patronizing, like naive sort of way, but like legitimately just you know yeah. you know I talked about it's, last time it's not just depictions of human empathy like yeah it's <laughs> not we don't sickly get all the time. or overly sentimental or stuff. It's right. a little corny, like we said, because that's yeah. the right. style that they're telling. But it, it's endearing, <laughs> yeah. you know. And again, it's because they've done the work to make us like these characters. And, you know, we see that somebody like Yomogi, you know, is an idiot who doesn't know how to talk to <laughs> girls. But he, his heart <laughs> is in the right place, you know. Right. And, and, that, and that means that, like, we want them to have the emotional payoffs that we get at the end of episode nine. You know, which is, again, straight out of cliche, but works surprisingly well. Yeah. I yeah. guess do we do we want to like as we're closing up on her do we want to quickly speculate where we think like the show is going like yeah so we have uh we kind of end so all the kaiju eugenicists have had a shot at this now at this point right yep. yeah and they they mentioned at the end of one of the episodes how there's not an unlimited amount of kaiju <laughs> to work with so right <laughs> we must be drawing on some kind of conclusion so um. I mean, is the natural escalation here is that the kaiju eugenicists have seen the humans win by combining their, right. their robots. Yes. So they arrive at the natural conclusion of, well, what if we all four of us controlled one kaiju at the same time or something? I feel like they are going to cut someone loose, and I think it's going to be Yuga. 
That is the... Is that the one with the glasses? Yes, the dude who we okay. thought was main dude who turned Right, he, the totally one who was framed as the leader, but is kind yeah. of actually the, the least interesting of the yeah, four. He, and I think that's deliberate. Like, he see, yeah. like, he's kind of a stick in the mud, and I, I feel like... I feel like there's going to be some internal conflict there at the very least, you know, right. especially I because... I mean, we still have... Sorry, go ahead. Especially, you know, because you've got uh, Mugino and Onisia now as, like, a power couple, and Suzumu <laughs> has always kind of been, you know, the weird the one. actual one. Yeah, the one who is right. actually and, and, in charge. And I don't know how much to, like... This could be just me looking too deep into it, but Suzumu saying real kaiju eugenesis don't sleep. Oh, no, that's, and, like, that's important. I think everybody else like fucking conked out. <laughs> uh, it's. I will like, point out as well. Um, in the original show, Alexis Carib said, "Real humans don't sleep." Hmm. Okay, I didn't know. All right. All right. All right. That could huh. be nothing, but it did happen. I feel so. like Amami is so obsessive about these details that he does not do these things on accident, like yeah. they are. <laughs> but like, for example, the scene where they're all goofing off in the arcade and like they wake up. Suzumu has noticed, like, is not waking up. He has been asleep all. He has been awake all along, and the other three right. have not. So, well, Sh- will, shout will out he, to them going to will he trans- going to round one. Oh, round the, one. The, the scene where they're on the hoverboards is so good. Like, it's very yeah. good. <laughs> Suzumu, so, yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm still a bit concerned because we talked about last time about the Genesis not being as satisfying a villain. I'm not sure where the con that conflict getting resolved ends up being a big enough climax I mean, for all this. I, I, think I don't know. My my opinion is I don't necessarily think that this will, you know, pull all those threads together in the same way that Gridman did. I think it's this is definitely a show that has been more about you know, from the beginning it's been a show that has been more about an ensemble cast and how they've interacted. Sure. You know, not that yeah. Gridman didn't have an ensemble, but it was very clearly, you know, Yuta and Rika's story for the most part. And because yeah, like I feel like I feel like the cast and moment to moment, I've enjoyed Dynazine more, Dynazine on more than Gridman, but I don't know how they're gonna top the ending. Right, like, the, the Gridman ending is terrific. Yeah. That's right. gonna be real, yeah. real yeah. difficult. Arrow, uh, were you gonna say something? Before? Um, I think it's a, there's a possibility that, uh, like the, you said they might cut off one of the eugenicists. I think yes. maybe they might like. When you when you said that, my mind went to they turn the turn turn him into a kaiju into a oh always possible that, of because course. then that set that would also potentially lead into them like kidnapping Gauma and turn him into a kaiju. Hmm. Okay. That has to be fought. I with, don't uh, think that that's impossible. Friendship. Yeah. Because they're they've implied that they're going possible. to run out of kaiju. Okay. No, I said really? I don't think that's impossible. Oh. Uh, uh, I can um, see that being like a really like interesting like dark turn, right? Like if you need to like ramp up the kaiju eugenicists as villains, like just turning on one of their own and like, I mean that, turning them into there was a lot of exposition about um about how kaiju are born from people's feelings. So like right. they seem to be emphasizing that. The other option, which I think is also possible, because the kaiju eugenicists have been portrayed fairly sympathetically up to this point, is that we get like an out of context big bad who appears out of nowhere we right. still don't know who scattered those kaiju yeah. pearls like that's that's yeah. still in play I, I think I, I mean here's the thing i think i think an outside context villain will show up it's just like how satisfying will it be like the, the longer you know, they wait on that 
the, yeah, the harder yeah. it's going to be to because, pull like, off. Like, look, Alexis Kerr wasn't, like, prominent in the plot, but he was literally there since, like, what, episode one, yeah, right? Yeah, and, so, like, like, hanging you out. You knew he was a, a factor, but this time right. we don't really have that, so... We like... learned that he enjoys Chinese. Um, <laughs> yes. Which is a very good scene. Um, there's a couple of things I'll say to that. Firstly, like... If you ask me what's more likely that the Kaiju Eugenesis will be the villain or villains or that they'll ter- they'll join the good guys, I would still say that it's more likely they would join the good guys than be the ultimate villains, you know. Yeah. Secondly, the the one of the ways you could do an outside context villain uh who works by only showing up at the very end is of course if they are a character from Gridman. Um so Alexis Kirin just uh, shows up Karen again. It's, it's again. possible, it's like, you know. Um, uh, so, my plans here haven't been going so I mean, well. Time like, for me to step in. They did. <laughs> they did establish in that show that he is completely immortal. So, uh, right. um, and yeah. well, what the fuck is that slacker Gridman doing? Then? Well, that <laughs> that was going to be my next point, which is what is our over under on Gridman showing up for like a cameo at least? I think he might show up for like a brief cameo. At like, the very like end. at most, you see him in the distance. Somewhere. Yeah, something like, like that. I don't think no. he's going to come in and kick him. No, no, kick no. The monster like, in the face while they're down yeah. or something. Maybe, right? maybe he shows up during the post-credits live-action segment. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't do that trick twice, unfortunately. Uh, um, what if um, Koyomi's old girlfriend is the actual villain this whole time? Oh, well, Inamoto. Have... I, yeah. I, I have not had enough confidence to voice that, but there's, like, a part of my brain that keeps thinking, like, there has to be more to this character, right? Because like, that, that's still hanging out there. That's one of the loose threads. What did she have. do with all that cash? She, she apparently bought a bunch of kaiju pearls off the dark net. <laughs> yeah. I we mean, still I have think... have a scene with her, Demogi, and Koyomi in the same room, I think. I, I no, think that... hasn't um... happened yet. I think that the thing is, though, like, I'm not worried about these problems. I'm excited to see what they will do with them. Oh, yeah, you totally. know, Because I have faith. And again, you know, I'm not expecting every tiny plot thread to be tied up. You know, I think the show is far too broad strokes for that. And I think it's perfectly willing to acknowledge that sometimes, you know, you can throw things out and they don't necessarily matter. But I'm excited to see, you know, what they will do to try and bring this story to a climax. And I think that's the important thing there. Yeah. Totally random side note as I'm looking at Wikipedia. I did not realize Koyomi was supposed to be 33 years old. They mentioned he's like 30 something. Yeah, yeah they they do establish like, quite. I know he things. I know he did say the one bit where he tells Gamma, "I'm technically probably older than you." Like, yeah. As a, <laughs> yeah. as a uh, you know, even though Gamma's 5,000 years old or whatever, physic like as, as far as their physical body right. or whatever you want to call it, uh, he's like, "I'm." Technically it definitely probably it's older it's, than it's an interesting element, right? Because like you know, Koyomi is a little like mentally and emotionally emotionally he, he comes off as as younger than he actually is right like some of that well, because he's meat, also right? it, but, it's right. anime and he is surrounded by characters who are teenagers so yes right. i just so, i just automatically assume that nobody is over 30 in anime so that was yeah i know like, right <laughs> yeah. uh interesting but i i think you know as we said earlier i think there is more to come from Koyomi and for sure uh, I will point out as well that when in that scene where he gets drunk with Mugino he does mention that at one point he mentions that at what he says at one point I had money I had so much money well now we know where that money might have come from so yeah that is true let's see how that yeah. goes shall we man what an still, interesting show yeah still some loose ends that are very interesting yep what a good season. What a good season. <laughs> what a season, what a season. We'll, we'll be back at least one more time to wrap yes. these shows up. So. Indeed. Uh, I, that'll do it for, for 
for this episode. Uh, quick plug, I am writing weekly episodic reviews for Gridman, so check them out if you would like to see uh, some more detailed analysis and speculation. Yes, uh, yes for we sure. We have been uh, trying to plug those so you can read that mm. and anything else we put up at theglorialblog.com. We'll do the rest of our housekeeping while we're here. Uh, follow us on Twitter at theglorialblog. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. At this point, can I just say find us wherever you find podcasts? I feel like we have most of <laughs> probably. Do we have an RSS feed? We do. That's also on there. But uh, that is still yeah. the way I subscribe to podcasts because I'm well, old. Well, yeah, most most people. I don't know what most people do at this point, but um, it's all there. You can subscribe. You can then, find uh, it. I know you can. I believe in you. Yes. <laughs> or you could just follow Gumbar the Ray. link on the Gloria blog or something, whatever. <laughs> all right. So that'll do it. Uh, you know, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and uh, we'll catch everybody next time. Peace.